Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! They're still doing a really quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call a Ghostbusters. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extraplasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that believes the ill-fated revival of Supermarket Sweep would have succeeded if the contestants were given PKE meters and told to gather data on valences rather than expensive meats and diapers. I'm your host, Jim Maritato, and I hope that you're doing well as we begin the month of February and celebrate National Bill Murray Meme Day alongside Groundhog Day on the 2nd. Don't forget your booties because it's cold outside. This week, I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had with Derek Osborne, who some listeners may know as an outstanding Ghostbusters fan historian, but who's also a co-editor of the documentary film Cleaning Up the Town, Remembering Ghostbusters. This important and compelling film was released in 2020 after being developed from a Kickstarter campaign that began back in 2016. And while it was released in 2020, it was only available then via streaming, so it then came out uh, worldwide via Blu-ray in 2021. Uh, following delays due to the pandemic, financial woes with the film's distributors, and many other issues that uh, this amazing fan production had to overcome, but did, ultimately. Uh, and it's definitely a film that you should see if you haven't already. Uh, if you haven't seen uh, Cleaning Up the Town, you can get it for free from Crackle or Philo if you're willing to watch some ads. But you can also easily stream it for less than $5 from Amazon, Apple, or Google Play. Uh, and I totally recommend this, but it, you don't have to go and watch it before you listen to the interview, but um, you might want to because it might add some context or texture to what you're about to listen to. But I had a great conversation with Derek that touched upon his experiences working on the project and learning some interesting things that he's found out about Ghostbusters through his collecting, his documenting and producing Ghostbusters historical content. Uh, so I'm really excited to bring that conversation to you this week. And to be frank, to have had an opportunity to talk to Derek uh, sort of one-on-one. -on -one. We've known each other through forums, uh, and I've read things that Derek has written in the past, but I had never had an opportunity to talk with him one-on-one, -on -one. and so to have an organic conversation uh, was actually a really cool opportunity. So um, I'm really excited to be able to share that with you this week, and I hope that you'll stick around after headlines to uh, take a listen to that. So, um, but before we get into that interview, I do want to catch up on a few of the week's Ghostbusters headlines. So let's go ahead and do that. Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. All in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Extra plasm, read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at ya. In merchandise news, Magnolia Clothiers is coming into 2023 hot and closing out January with more announcements about stuff that they're releasing. Uh, and the latest things they're announcing are that their Spengler replica glasses are now available uh, for in stock. You can buy them and you can purchase them from MagnoliaClothiers.com. Uh, they cost $80 and they are essentially screen accurate replicas of Egon Spengler's glasses, uh, which I guess also means that they're technically screen accurate replicas of Phoebe Spengler's glasses. Um, so regardless of which Spengler you wish to cosplay as, uh, you now have options. <laughs> Feel free to consider them through Magnolia Clothiers. The second item that I have to admit I'm a little more excited about that Magnolia is putting out is a replica utility belt. 
uh, which they are going to be selling for $25 in a standard form form or in a distressed form with no uh, depreciation to the quality of the fabric for $40 for $15 more. Uh, this is exciting to me because Magnolia has announced that they'll be selling this belt in sizes that include plus sizes. And while I'm not a plus size person necessarily, I definitely struggle with the current Magnolia, uh, or rather the current utility belts that are available through like say Rothko from Amazon, etc., uh, that are not necessarily big enough. And I know there's several folks out there who are within our community who are doing things like uh, linking several of those ammunition belts from Rothko together to try and make one large belt. Well, this may be your opportunity to spend $25 on a belt that uh, is rightly sized to you. So if you are one of the bigger people in the community like I am, um, I have, you know, ha I've I've had many Twinkies in my day <laughs> and I really enjoy pizza. If you are like me and you have a gut, um, you may find that this belt from Magnolia Clothiers is a good option for you. I'm not going to know until I get one, uh, at which point I may review it. But just know that this is something that's coming because I think for some of us out there, who have tried to deal with the uh, utility belts over the years, this may be something that finally answers some prayers, uh, if you will. Outside of clothing and outside of uh, cosplay stuff, let's talk for a minute about ways that you can spend money on toys um, if you haven't spent enough already. Um, and in this case, you're spending money that's on obscure and limited edition collectibles. Uh, the folks at Unbox Industries are ready to believe that your money belongs in their bank account because they have collaborated with Real X Head to release a Sofubi robot toy that is inspired by the Ecto-1 and that sold out last week in 45 seconds, but a second run will be available this week. On Wednesday, uh, February 1st, there will be a 12-hour window from, I believe, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., where that item will be available for you. I don't know offhand what the price of it is. I have to be honest with you, uh, but I imagine it will not be cheap. Uh, that especially comes off the fact that Unbox has also revealed that they'll be selling a Stay Puft collectible that's a collaboration with Japanese clothing company Punk Drunkers. This sounds familiar to you. This is because uh, they released a almost identical figure during Designer Con. That figure costs about $150. So uh, if you're looking to spend over, you know, $100 on a piece of soft PVC that is inspired and officially licensed by Ghostbusters, and then to consider whether or not that was a thing that you really wanted or a thing you just wanted to throw up on eBay for three times its value, which seems to be what happens with most of these Sufubi releases, um, <laughs> then this is an option for you. I'm going to be honest. For me, this is a pass. Um, I, I appreciate that there are different designer uh, toys that are coming out there that are sort of urban designer art figurines. They also all cost too much, are way too esoteric, and don't appeal to me in terms of their aesthetics. Um, to be honest, between you and me, listeners, the Ecto-1 Sofubi robot, I would never have even known was an Ecto-1 if it didn't have a little sticker on it that had the license plate of the Ecto-1 on it. And if I hadn't seen this information on GhostbustersNews.com. So um, thank you, Jason, for sharing the information that these exist and clarifying what that weird robot toy was. Uh, I won't be picking one up. But if this is in your wheelhouse, uh, if you're into Japanese Sufubi toys, you might want to know if you missed out on that Ecto-1 toy, you have one final shot at it. I'm not even going to say final because God knows they may just release another round of these in six weeks. Uh, but you have one more shot at, at version 1.5, as they're calling it if you missed out on version 1.0 last week. But uh, with that sort of merchandise stuff out of the way, what I want to talk for a few minutes about is video game and media news. Uh, 
this folks over at Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed and folks in Elphonic are having a very busy time and they have had a series of developer streams uh, since our last episode to uh, just unveil a whole bunch of things that are about to happen. Uh, so a few things we're going to talk about here. The first thing is that they have announced that Necroplast skins are coming over the next two weeks. If you're not sure what that means, uh, let me try and break this down for you. Ghosts within Ghostbuster Spirits Unleashed can have different skins so that they have different colors, different appearances, etc. These are limited edition skins that are like almost like black light looking skins for your ghost uh, that will be available only if you watch developer streams, uh, I believe, from Spirits Unleashed uh, over the next two weeks and gather some codes to uh, download each of these skins. Uh, I'm going to be 100% real with you and telling you that I have not had time to go and watch each of these developer streams and I'm sort of working from summaries uh, of them. So if I'm getting that wrong, apologies, but these are what's called Twitch drops. If you're in your 40s like me, you actually have to Google what a Twitch drop is to be able to report on it. Um, so I did. <laughs> and it's essentially what somebody gives out codes on Twitch for you to go be able to get some downloadable. Uh, so these will only be available from the first of the month on of February up until apparently the 16th. After that point, these uh, skins will no longer be available. So if you are a completist in Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, if you need to have everything and every piece of downloadable content to unlocked, you may want to know about this. Um, if this is something that, you know, you just are a casual player, it may not matter as much to you. Um, for me, I will see what happens. Um, I like to play Spirits Unleashed a bunch. Uh, but I also will admit that developer streams don't generally happen when I'm around to watch them. So um, I think that this is interesting, though, that they're attempting to cultivate more of an active community of people who are engaging online and watching video content. Uh, and if things like the Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed League are to be successful, there probably needs to be some uh, handholding and directing people who are casual players towards those places to go look at content. So um, I wish you luck, Elphonic, um, in this campaign to try and bring people into uh, your Twitch audience and to expand what's going on online via video streaming. The bigger Spirits Unleashed news that's exciting to me is that not only are we getting the facility level that we were expecting to see in the first quarter of this year and that we are have been told we'll still see in the first quarter of this year, uh, but we're getting the Muncher Ghost we thought we were going to be getting, um, which is all great. But on top of that, Ilphonic came out and dropped a whole bunch of like new features that are coming to this game. Uh, one of those is a new zapper attachment that will replace the PKE pulse and that will be used to zap ghosts. Another is uh, some sort of device that's going to prevent ghosts from possessing objects temporarily. And another device that's going to be available as an as a, as a tool for you as a Ghostbuster is the belt gizmo, which I mean seems pretty reasonable that you would add that to the game. And apparently its function will be that it will reduce your footprint in ecto visions when the ghost is trying to uh, use its ecto vision to see through the ghost world and see where all the different people are, including the Ghostbusters in the level. Uh, it will apparently reduce how visible you are. Uh, so three new items, at least that are coming to the game that are going to sort of change gameplay mechanics in hopefully ways that are positive. Uh, and then to add on to that, they've also announced that there will be a downloadable component uh, that will allow you to replace the look of items within the game such that they look like those from the real Ghostbusters. So some of us have been joking about how we want to be able to play the real Ghostbusters. And I think uh, several John, your cable when he was on the show and I were talking about 
out. The game feels a bit like an episode of the real Ghostbusters in its story mode. Um, and it turns out that Ilphonic is now allowing people to download or will be allowing, not yet, uh, download versions of their tools that are essentially remodeled into models from real Ghostbusters. I, I had to be honest, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm definitely going to have to try that out because even though it probably won't really change your gameplay mechanics, like your proton pack's not going to work differently because you use the real Ghostbusters version. The idea that you get to kind of dress up entirely in blue stuff and run around like a cartoon character to me is kind of funny. Uh, so I'm excited about those cha those changes and those additions coming to the game. And I, I have to say, the last patch came out for Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. I was skeptical. I was like, this game is go now going to be, um, you know, kind of wrecked because I got used to playing it the way I was playing it. And weeks later, I have to say that I really appreciate and enjoy playing this game still so much. Uh, if you haven't tried Spirits Unleashed, give it a shot. It's definitely worth your time in terms of going through it and playing the uh, campaign at least once. And the online gameplay, if you can, if you can do quick play for sure, but if you can get together with people, you know, uh, who are in the Ghostbusters fan community and get on TeamSpeak, the game is a hell of a lot of fun to play with other people. A couple other gameplay changes and additional notes uh, and shout out to Ghostbusters News for uh, bullet pointing these easily to talk about. Uh, there will be new opening level cinematics that are coming in the next update, and there will be a news bulletin feature inside the firehouse that lets people know about events, updates, uh, different announcements that are coming. So uh, that's really great because right now the game's way of like just the, for you to know what's happening with updates to this game, you really must go somewhere else other than the game. You have to go to a Discord or you have to go to an Instagram feed or you've got to go to a Twitch feed. Uh, so I think it's really great that they're going to actually put some sort of uh, community announcement space within your firehouse so that, that way you can know what's happening with the game and not just log in and find out, oh crap, everything's changed, uh, which will be kind of weird if they continue to add things and then people log in and find that things are just gone or moved or whatever. Um, they're going to be offering up a quicker access menu for uh, the firehouse and the ghost realm so that that way people can do what they need to. And that includes revamping gear customization and UI uh, I believe that I've been talking with folks who have said they've heard that there's going to be potentially changes that will allow you to do equipment changes between matches to switch between ghosts between matches. We'll see if that's coming in this update, but I've heard from folks uh, that that is a, a thing in the works um, sort of unofficially that's been passed along from somebody. But um, beyond that, they're saying that they're addressing being able to spam possessions. I'll, now that I'm going to be honest with you, I'm just kind of sad about that because I'm a possession hopper. I like to hop between objects. Um, and I love a room with chairs because it means it's easy to hop between them as a ghost and uh, confuse the people you're playing with. So hopefully they won't nerf possessing too much because it's kind of your primary thing you can do as a ghost. Um, and they're going to take away the ability to interact with rifts through walls. So uh, if you're a player of this game, then you probably have seen people at some point pull a rift through a wall. It's called wall teching. Uh, some people argue that it is not supposed to be a thing you do in the game. I'm a terrible human being who does it for fun uh, <laughs> and has no problem admitting it because if it was in the game, I'll do it. But at this point, they're going to remove it as a feature, which means that you won't be able to do it anymore uh, and wall teching will go away. So for those people who hate wall techers and who just heard me say that, you're like, oh, my God, you're a terrible person. Don't worry. Your world's getting fixed. Uh, mine's getting wrecked. Oh, well, <laughs> civilian dialogue's getting improved. Uh, monetary destruction and a level will begin to increase haunt rates, which totally makes sense. I don't know why it is that like a Ghostbuster could run around and just destroy half of a building and it wouldn't drive up the haunt. 
or why your uh, civilians would not be freaked out. So that's a good improvement from my standpoint. Uh, and so, you know, there's going to be an opportunity here to see more and more changes to the game, see more development to it, see it grow and change. Um, it's kind of weird to think about this, but like for those of you who are my age, I used to think about video games as being a thing you bought and that's it. Uh, maybe you download and you got some new levels, but the gameplay itself didn't change much. Um, and it's becoming so much more of a reality to me. The longer I play this game as somebody who didn't play first person shooters and has been out of this world for a long time, that video games have changed significantly such that they're a living document. Uh, they, they are one thing when you buy them and by within six months, they can potentially become an entirely different game. And so that's kind of a thing that's happening with spirits unleashed in terms of how it's under the hood engine changes are happening and some of its new features. But I, do believe that they're probably going to be for the better. So um, we'll continue to talk about Spirits Unleashed uh, in the future. And uh, I don't know, hopefully someday, maybe maybe we'll eventually get to talk with some folks who make this game because that would be pretty cool. Our final pieces of news this week are not really news at all, as much as two circulating rumors that I want to talk about for a few moments and then provide a little advice as to what to consider news and not to consider news with respect to Ghostbusters productions that are forthcoming. Uh, generally speaking, you don't hear me give a lot of attention to bad actors within pop culture media, uh, because fanning the flames of a dumpster fire isn't really necessary, but the reach of the rumor mill has been a bit far this week and worthy of addressing. And, uh, simply put, I just think that you should know that you can pretty much disavow anything you read about Ghostbusters productions from inside the magic or giant freaking robot. And that also probably goes for the sun in the UK too, but um, let's talk about what this is about for a few moments. Uh, the Sun put out an article last week discussing how Ghostbusters five is that what we're going to call this four. Um, what I'm not let's not worry about numbering schemes. The next Ghostbusters movie is being filmed in the UK. We know this from media releases that have come out from production industry publications. And we know this from the fact that, like, we can see that several people who are involved in the development of the next Ghostbusters movie are very obviously currently in London and offering up lots of social media posts of photo photographing where they are and etc. Um, if you aren't following Jason Reitman and noticing that he's in London taking lots of photos of landscapes and things, then, you know, that's the thing he's been doing. Uh, anyway, uh, the point here is that this story came out in the sun that the next Ghostbusters was being filmed in the UK, and it had a hint to it that perhaps that meant that the next Ghostbusters was set in the UK. Uh, this has since then been grabbed and run with by lots of different people who've decided, I mean, this made it like Yahoo News being re reiterated uh, that that the next Ghostbusters movie was essentially not actually going to be happening in New York. And the worst offender on this is certainly giantfreakingrobot.com, who had an article titled Ghostbusters isn't going back to New York after all, and that just openly declared that the next movie was set in the UK, citing a quote unquote inside source with no idea of who that person is whatsoever, um, and essentially taking a sentence out of context to say that the story is happening in the UK. I want to make this clear now, like there's no indication of that. Like film movies are filmed in overseas all the time and they don't take place in the place that they do in the story, right? I mean, even Ghostbusters Afterlife was filmed in Canada and Canada was a stand-in for Oklahoma. Uh so <laughs> like the the point here is that the fact that the movie's being filmed anywhere else 
doesn't mean anything. It, it doesn't mean anything about where the story is set. Uh, and, you know, as you're going to sort of hear me and Derek joke about in our interview segment in a few minutes, like potentially maybe they won't even leave the firehouse. Maybe the whole movie will happen on a soundstage and that's it. We have no idea. Um, and, and that's, you know, I don't really think that's likely either. But the point is that we, nobody knows anything about what's happening with the story of this movie. So if you're encountering some, you know, some article from something like giantfreakingrobot.com, uh, whose parent company, essentially, their other thing they have is a website that tries to get pe- people to read reviews of products. Like, th- these are websites that are generating clicks in order to get you to look at ads that pop up on there, or to even not even look at them, just from the pop up so they can get metrics and say this many people were looking at a page where your ad appeared, advertiser. So don't give this stuff any credence. Don't give it any credit. Uh, it's not even really worth getting into like discussions or, you know, posting, reposting, retweeting because it's garbage. Um, and I say that because like if something is legitimate, if something is actually be ready to be released by the production, like you're going to get it. It will come out via deadline. It will be something that, you know, arguably Ghostbusters news will report on. There's if there's something that's actual news, it's not as if there aren't outlets within our fandom that. And outside of our fandom, just within film uh, reporting that would offer those stories up. And along the same lines, there is a story that's coming from inside the magic that is suggesting that the next Ghostbusters will introduce a multiverse, uh, that this is the Ghostbusters movie that has the opportunity to introduce a multiverse and to bring together all the different forms of Ghostbusters that have existed. And then if you read that article, you'll get about halfway down it and find the sentence that says that they have no information whatsoever that this is the case, but that they can speculate about what it would be like if they did this. Right. Yet the headline is that the Ghostbusters movie that's coming will have a multiverse in it. Uh, So this is this is something we as fans have talked about for years. Like it would be interesting if they had the uh, took the opportunity to pull together a multiverse. We said it about the video game. We said it about the last movie. Uh, And so. There's no real information here. It's just clicks and garbage. So just keep this in mind if you're a fan out there and you're seeing these stories like, yeah, you're going to see people say stuff that's wild because there's a major film franchise that's putting something out this year and it generates clicks to talk about it and say things even when that stuff isn't necessarily true. And even when it's just somebody taking elements of truth, like the fact that, yes, there are people filming things for this new Ghostbusters movie in the UK and twist that into the whole story is in the UK and it's a multiverse now. <laughs> like, and to be real, if the people who make this movie, if Gil Kennan decides he wants to have a movie that has a multiverse and that only takes place inside of the firehouse, great, I'll go see it. I'll be totally satisfied to go check it out and be happy that they made another Ghostbusters movie. But I think this is something to just consider. What What is worth our time? Is it spending time talking about uh, stuff that's just patently not true so we can reiterate it and speculate about it and give more attention to it? Or is it to move on to bigger and better things? Um, and so I hate that we spent this much time to even address this, but because I've had enough conversations about it over the last week, uh, I wanted to say, don't believe the rumor mill. If it sounds too ridiculous and you've never heard of the website that's telling you this thing, it's probably not true. And on to bigger and better things. Let's go now from headlines to our conversation with Derek Osborne. One thing for you to be aware of as listeners, uh, just as we go into this as a quick editorial note, is that there were some issues with this recording of the interview thanks to a pair of unruly Apple AirPods. 
uh, that had some Bluetooth connectivity issues and whose noise canceling did some odd things to the audio quality. Uh, so as you're listening, if you hear a few Max Headroom moments that sound like, uh, don't freak out. It's not your computer. It's us. And if you don't know who Max Headroom is, you're clearly younger than I am and you should Google it. And let's go now to my conversation with Derek. Joining me now on the Extraplasm podcast, uh, and a person who's been very supportive of the show and a great content creator out there in the Ghostbusters universe who you may know already, is Derek Osborne. Uh, and Derek, thanks for coming on the show. I hope that you're doing well. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Love the, I love Extraplasm. It's been a... Um, I, I like to think that it, it filled a huge uh, cross-rip-sized hole in my heart. <laughs> well, thank you. I often, as corny as that is to say, I no, love it. Great, great job. I often say, if you're referring to the Interdimensional Cross-Rip podcast, um, I, I love them. They are an inspiration. They are um, one of the reasons that this podcast came into being, because when they went away or went on hiatus, I have said that um, I never hope to replace them for anybody except for me, uh, because I went, I am lost those conversations that I would get on Mondays. And I wanted some back, but I appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> I just never, I never, oh, yeah, yeah. I never always feel <laughs> uncomfortable being like, thank you, but I don't want to ever feel like I replaced the cross riff because I love the cross no, riff. Not, not <laughs> and dude, if you want to cut that out, that was very awkward. So no. I'm going to cut that out. We can restart. No, it's fine. No, I just, I love, I love just the, the weekly discussion, you know, and it, it just gives me just enough to kind of, you know, not, not go insane and. It's just nice to have around, man. No, thank you. I appreciate good job. that. Good, good job keeping it going. Thank you. I, I'm. It's not often. I usually I'm like, you do great work. Thank you for coming on the show. It's not often somebody comes to the show and goes, thank you for bringing me on. Also, you do great work. I will accept that. I have um, no humility whatsoever. And <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. But part of the reason I brought you on the show is because of the great work you do, because if people don't know who you are, um, you have done some great work editing things like all of a little documentary called Cleaning Up the Town. Um, and yeah. you are, I've been a Ghostbusters historian in our community for quite some time. Um, and uh, you're also a collector. You have lots of cool stuff that you have uncovered in the process of helping to make documentaries and content. And so seemed like you'd be a good person to chat with who had a uh, some you know lots of stories to tell and information to share and you know because yeah. you're cool so yeah well hey i appreciate that thank you very much no i don't really you know i don't really put myself out there that much i guess especially in the community outside of the, the forums and maybe some facebook groups but yeah i had a, you know kind of fun experience on the documentaries been been collecting for probably over 20 years now which is scary to think but um yeah, the, I'm just a huge, huge fan. It's great, great to be on here. Well, thank you. Um, I I said earlier to you off air that uh that I feel like I this podcast is a commercial for Yes Have Some Podcasts forums because that's where you and I I think originally initially met. Um, and mm -hmm. I meet so many people there. So if you've never been in there, you should go join that group because I'm still not starting a Facebook group, um, everybody. But <laughs> you could go go join the the one I like to interact in. <laughs> but well, um. Tell me a bit like I've, I, I said, you've done some work like editing a documentary. You've been a collector for a long time. Tell us a little bit about yeah. how you kind of gotten started with Ghostbusters. Like what's your entry point into being a Ghostbusters fan, Derek? I guess that's a great question. My, my entry point would be is like my, my earliest memories. Uh, I was born in 82. So, um, you know, I was kind of there, like I was the perfect age when real Ghostbusters started and the, yeah. and the Kenner toys came out and it's always just been been there whether you know even when i started getting older it was still kind of in the, in the back of my head and always in my mind and you know it's like as, as a kid you're kind of like oh yeah they're, they're heroes and they're getting stuff done and 
and capturing these ghosts and stuff like that. But then you get a little older and you start realizing, hey, it's a comedy. And there's all this like really smart uh, satirical humor in there. Yeah. It's just as like I've gotten older, like the the films have kind of followed my interests. So I'm like, well, you know, I want to, you know, I'm kind of interested in like uh, miniatures and effects and that kind of stuff up through cinematography and just you know filmmaking in general. And, you know, as I've gotten older, like, you know, the creative process and the technical processes of filmmaking and all that kind of stuff. And it's just been a huge fascination. And I guess, yeah. So I, I've been part of the Ghostbusters community, I guess, since the earlier days, you know, mid nineties, uh, and kind of hopping around and huge, huge eBay in the early days, uh, <laughs> you know, back when, back when production stuff wasn't as, as sought out, yeah. you know, like these, these crew members would just, you know, take dusty old cardboard boxes from their garages and put list of stuff on eBay. Right. It might be storyboards. It might be original art or scripts or who knows what. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that I just really got really passionate about finding and, and kind of collecting and diving into. And that's something that I, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit before that I had spotted some of your eBay listings a few weeks ago, but um, that I would notice this about stuff you'd post. You would just have it like, Hey, here's this storyboard or Hey, here's this photo. Like, where did, where did you get this? Like, how do you, what? Like, how do you even come up with this kind of stuff? Um, this has always been kind of impressive to me. And then you, you're always, well, you know, and then like that makes you a good, a good person who often has like a good Ghostbusters fun fact where you're just like, I never knew this little piece of information in the midst of this little story. So um, I like that. That's good. Um, it adds. Well, thanks. I just never got tired of learning that stuff. And, and, and I don't know when I was a kid, you know, you'd be kind of flipping through. Maybe it was like the, the real Ghostbusters magazine or whatever it was. And it might be like a, I don't know, like a, a black and white photograph you've never seen before. And like, well, where'd that come from? Or what is this? You know, I remember seeing uh, that, that photo of Mosin with his uh, ectomobile. Yeah. And, you know, it was, you know, I mean, before Ghostbusters 2. And I was a kid. I'm like, what is this? Is there some sort of like TV show I don't know about or anything? <laughs> so there was always just this burning curiosity. And then the internet hit. And it was right. like, you know, the first thing I typed in a search engine was Ghostbusters. And, uh, you know, seeing the, the MCAL site and all the, the, the stuff, you know, the, the making Ghostbusters information out there and kind of soaking all that stuff up from day one. And, you know, you kind of start noticing like what the, the same photos keep getting published and, mm -hmm. and publication after publication. And I don't know. So you, you start, you know, you'll see these weird eBay auctions of these odd photos you've never seen pop up before. And, you know, that's just kind of, I just kind of latched onto it and. I never really set out to collect anything, but I kind of woke up one day and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a, I'm a collector now. <laughs> <laughs> I never had that bug, but oh, now well, it's like, it's funny you say now. that. Cause like I had that bug when I was younger and I was like in my, mm -hmm. definitely when I was, when I was a little kid, my, I believe my parents instilled this into me because my mom is the person who maintained my He-Man checklist. Um, and mm -hmm. I still have it. <laughs> I actually went to go back and see my parents. Um, that's great. Back a, a few weeks ago, I talked about this in the podcast, going back to see my folks for the first time in a few years. Mm -hmm. And I have sold off my entire He-Man collection with the exception of a few choice items that were like, oh, these were the ones that are really, you know, I have a visceral connection to. Um, but the thing I thought I lost the most was the collect the list. My mom had handwritten a list and I had it for all these years. This tattered, like, you know, tapestry that's just like falling apart with red pen ink on it with each of my figures numbered in the order that I got them. And I oh, that's so cool. went home and my mom was like, oh, I had this box of He-Man junk from when we moved out of the house. I think most of this is garbage, but I just wanted to, you know, before I get rid of it, you should take a look. And I went and looked and there was a broken snake mountain and a broken, you know, 
um, <laughs> broken fright. Um, what is it? The fright zone, all this broken stuff. But at the bottom of the box, there it was, this ripped up checklist. And I was like, oh, it's my that's roots wow, as a collector. That's, so cool. <laughs> like, that's great. I had a similar thing. Like when my, uh, my parents recorded Ghostbusters off of, I think the first time it was shown on ABC and they, they recorded it. And so I've still got the VHS tape that, you know, with my mom's handwriting, this is Ghostbusters mm-hmm. on it. So that, that's a really special part of my collection. I like that. Uh, um, but of course, I taped over it, you know, probably the, the late 90s with some show on VH1, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and that's those three things you realize afterwards, like you wish you kept. Right. But it's like, yeah, um, I think it's interesting that you came into being a Ghostbusters fan as somebody who was like born in 82, because I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of us out there who were sort of like I was born in 80. And so for me, like mm-hmm. my first cinematic memory of, go- of a movie, like from beginning to end is Ghostbusters mm-hmm. like that is. And I can tell mm-hmm. you, I was at a drive in movie theater. I was there was a double feature. We played Frisbee before, like the first one. We <laughs> ate Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was supposed to fall asleep in the back of the Plymouth Valari for the movie. I didn't. And then I was afraid of the fridge for the next like week. Um, and I got over it clearly. Fun. But like that's, you know, I think for those of us who kind of like grew up um, with the movie, as opposed to folks, folks who were older than us and who were already like, say, you know, 11, 10, 12, 14 years old. Or the folks mm-hmm. who kind of found the movie later, like on in home video, I think that there's like a, a weird thing we have where the movie kind of grows up with us in a strange way, right? Like the Absolutely the longer not. it exists, and this is not to take that away from anybody else in the fandom who's like, no, I yeah, because you were born in '95 and you watched the movie, you don't get to have this experience. It's not like that, but it's like I think in an in an almost organic sense, like I was four when Ghostbusters came out. So when a 40th or 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters comes out, it's like my brain has gone through the critical thinking development, you know, like the 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 appreciation, the film knowledge development to be able to pull out those satirical moments you're talking about that, like mm-hmm. when I was four, they didn't land, you know, like mm-hmm. it sort of takes like a, it starts to take on like a new become a new thing almost yeah, it's as like you get older. So it- I think about it almost like as the patina. Like on a car, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's good, good way of putting it. You yeah. know, like the patina, like that's something that makes like I've been watching too, way too much Pawn Stars, by the way. So this is part of why too. <laughs> I'm like the patina on this is authentic, but like um, if you think about like something that's collectible like that or that gains appreciation over time, right? It develops aware to it and it develops a particular aesthetic to it. I mean, look at the proton packs. We all just got from Hasbro. They've literally been painted mm-hmm. to look like they have that um, to have some sort of lineage to them. But I think the film does too, like in a way that over the time that you look at it, that you process it, that you make content about it, that you edit it, that you do a documentary about all these different things. It's like mm-hmm. different elements of the patina being kind of established in the film, but it's personal almost. It's got like a, a, a sort of like personal relationship to the text. So I may be putting words in your mouth by having a reflection of my own, but sorry. Um, oh no, I think we, we have a similar background in that, in that, in that way. I think it's, you, you know, it kind of, yeah, it grows and matures with you as you get older. It's kind of funny to, to think of it like that, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just that. Yeah. I don't know. He kind of got me out of lost for words, man, but I agree. <laughs> What's one of the things you would say like that over the course of the time that you've, had a relationship with Ghostbusters or like as a franchise, like either as the first mm-hmm. film or as a franchise, what's something you can say legitimately changed for you and your understanding of the film? Like, and I'll give you an example. Like I didn't realize mm-hmm. up until like maybe three years ago that Egon mm-hmm. was doing the hand signals for Venkman to tell him how much to charge for proton charging and like, 
can I, this was something I've never, ever noticed. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch this scene oh. at the, in the head in mm-hmm. Sedgwick, like for folks listening where Egon is like literally holding up the number of fingers along the side of his face as to how much Venkman should be saying they're charging for things. I never noticed this until like f- three, four years ago. Like, and it changed my understanding of the character, you know, <laughs> like what's the thing like that you can think of that's kind of changed your read. Oh no. I, and I guess, you know, I don't know so much. It's, it's hard to say. Cause so much of it goes back to, you know, like when the DVD came out and the commentary, and, you know, when did, when did I learn all this kind of stuff? I don't know. I love like the, Hmm. That's, that's a great question. Um, Hmm. I'd have to think on that one a bit, but now going back to the patina stuff like that, that kind of, that, that kind of reminds me, I, I love patina and age and, and things I collect, you know, like concept art and stuff like yeah. that. You know, you, you mentioned palm stars and they're always like, well, condition is key. And, but not really, you know, so if you have like an original piece of concept art, but it's on like yellowed paper and it might have a tear or a stain or a coffee ring on something. Right. Like, I love that stuff. That stuff just, you know, I just, I just eat that stuff up. We kind of, you know, Anthony and I kind of had some conversations beginning in the beginning time of the documentary when we first started working together. It was like, we want to kind of like latch onto that and kind of make it look like, you know, not like a, a polished piece or a polished documentary or something like that. But you're kind of like looking through old slides or old transparencies, old, you know, old, old papers and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, you know, there's like almost like a dusty quality yeah. to it. And so, but yeah, that, so I guess that kind of patina kind of carries over. But um, I guess on, on things I've learned. Uh, the, the deleted scenes always kind of has been a, a huge interest of mine. I guess kind of going back to the you know, first seeing the DVD for the first time um, and realizing, hey, there's all this stuff that was shot and, you know, left on the cutting room floor. And some, and that kind of like starts making sense of, you know, seeing all these old weird photos through, you know, throughout my childhood, you know, what's up with this scene? What's up with that scene? Um, when I first got a script, when I first bought a script on eBay, I can't remember what draft it was. Maybe it was like the third draft or something like mm-hmm. that. Not, not too different from, from the film as it turned out to be, but you know, I was reading through it and there would be these like scenes where it would just say omitted and you wouldn't <laughs> see like any of the, you know, just, just say omitted. And that would just really get my curiosity going. Like what on earth was this? You know, what was omitted? So yeah, I, I, then I'd start seeking out like, you know, the prior drafts on eBay or online or whatever. So Kind of, kind of seeing, you know, the, the story development, I guess, kind of take place was was really cool. And just seeing, like, you know, just in front of me, kind of with primary sources, how the story, you know, how Reitman and, you know, uh, uh, Ramus and Ackroyd kind of, you know, crafted the story over the time. And really how much, how little changed as well as how a lot, how much changed, you know. When the 35th anniversary version, or no, rather, I'm sorry, when, when Ghostbusters, when the big ultimate edition of the Ghostbusters collection came out, um, I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not, it was a two different things. Um, right. Come on, brain work. Um, the, when that, the box set, yeah, the right. box set thing that came in a trap that everybody went crazy about and that by my view never should have been released in a trap and should have just been put in a steel book that would have been a lot Obviously. less headache creating. Um, but, uh, the, there's that whole entire cut of Ghostbusters on there, right? Mm-hmm. That's like this preview cut of Ghostbusters that has all these alternate moments, right? And it's got like a, a, a mm-hmm. longer montage to it and all kinds of stuff. And, and mm-hmm. that's all stuff that I can remember being like hearing rumors about, you know, like for years, like, oh, these yeah, pieces yeah. exist. So when we finally saw them, you know, like kind of stitched together, it was like watching a movie from an alternate universe, right? It was like, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've had the same thought. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, you know, the little things like, you know, like a shot might be like two seconds longer or something like that. Just little things like that yeah. in, the, in the, in the preview cut really got me, you know, that was my most like, I don't know. I think that's the coolest thing we've had as a community. 
like given to us in a long time. Yeah, I think so. Um, like, I, I mean, I imagine as an editor that has to be intriguing to you, you know, like, cause yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, it's just seeing the, the alternate takes they used, you know, where they use them, the, the Jews and Barry scene, which I always thought was just like a, a <laughs> not even outtake. I can't, I was shocked that it actually made the, we edit. should clarify what that is for anybody who's listening. Yeah, like, yeah, what? Like, <laughs> but if you, if you don't know this story, so it doesn't sound like, what are you talking about? Jews and berries? Uh, it's uh, Slavica Jovan who played uh Gozer, whose name I often mispronounce and then question whether or not I did that right or not. So I'm sorry if I butchered it again. Um, her thick accent, she speaks in such a thick ex- accent when she was told to say the line choose and perish as Gozer kept coming out as Jews and berries <laughs> for people <laughs> online, or for people listening to it in the studio. And so they had to go back and like do ADR to replace her voice because she sounded like she was saying Jews and berries as opposed to choose and perish. So. Uh, there now we can have put a good clarification on that that doesn't make anybody go what are you talking what about? are these guys talking about no <laughs> but i was i was surprised that it was you know uh bill murray's you know like a, a joke on it actually actually made the edit so that was that was really fascinating yeah. to see and just a lot of that stuff you know just kind of i guess seeing the creative process of how this you know big creative collaborations are, are made you know it's just a very interesting thing Yep. And that's what's funny is like that line, that story of the Jews and berries thing finally comes into like, you can see it. It's there. It's like on uh, it's on screen in that edit. The montage was really a treat. Yeah. The longer montage is very interesting. Sure. Like, and I think uh, so much of that is I often think about it almost like if you had two different versions of Ghostbusters and you stored one in an attic and you stored one in a basement, what would the Pacino look like <laughs> between funny. the two? And it's like, <laughs> this is what your outcome would be because it's the same concepts and ideas, but it's in the editing and the execution. And then in how it would have been received over time. Exactly. I mean, if we yeah. had seen that version of the movie 25, 30 years ago, we might've been like, Oh, whatever. This is like some for us now, though, to see that version of the movie, mm-hmm. even with the warts that are in it, that maybe they decided to cut out for us is like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. It's yeah, like, you see the genius you know, of the filmmaking come through and the decisions those guys were making and, you know, everyone was making on set and it's just really cool. It's just part of the process to me. I love hearing like demo versions of my favorite songs. And this yeah. is really just like the exact same thing. I just, I guess I've got like some sort of inner historian that just can't be, you know, with a, an unquenchable thirst of history, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's kind of like um, the other thing I think about in the same vein is the folks who do prototype action figure collecting, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Who are like buying, they're not, they're buying action figures, but then they're also spending lots of money to buy a one shot, like a test version of the action figure that was produced in a factory long before it ever went into a package that has got wild colors because it was just produced with whatever plastic was around to test the mold and make sure that it was going to be right. And you watch people buy those up and put them next to the other figures. And it's like watching the developmental pieces, you know, of like how this toy line came together. And it's very interesting. It's very fascinating to me. I think when you see those kinds of collections, because for sure, even like going back history, to like the, you know? like the wax sculpts, you know, that they would use to make those figures from like, and yeah. then like, you know, the, the art of that sculpt prior to that. And then like the concept art of that, just all this, this whole, yeah. you can just see this through line of uh of the development of what yeah. it's like to create this like uh this piece it's just I don't know, it's just so fascinating like going to look at say like a maddie collector figures and how like you go from four horsemen sculpts to like which are very intricate very detailed right but then you get them to the production line and you see 
like what elements of that original design may get lost in the process. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's also kind of cool to like track what an artist's idea was, how it then becomes something that turns into a product um, and ends up, you know, on a hook and for 1999. So exactly. Yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, like kind of learning what, what things are lost in that process, you know, like what, what kind of you know, details are lost in the injection molding and that kind of stuff. And I don't know, yeah. just kind of just diving into that, you know, that history has just been a huge fascination of mine for so long. And that's awesome. And I think that's like part of what, um, I think that's part of what makes, makes you such a cool resource for the community because like you've been somebody who's collected, but you're not just a collector who puts things on display. You're a collector who's like, I'm going to collect and document and try to share info because, um, there's, I think that that's, what's vital in these kinds of contexts. It's like, we can all buy up things if we want to and hoard them away and sock them away as, mm-hmm. as the, what's the, what, what are we now called as a category of consumers? Kidults. Kidults. Um, that's, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it's when that info is getting shared around that it becomes more of a, a community resource rather than just, Hey, you know, like I, that's dumb to think about, but it's like, I have this ridiculous stay puffed that I got during the pandemic that is actually mm-hmm. one of the like New York toy fair displays. He's like three feet. Oh, that's tall cool. And he's like made yeah. it up. It's like, I went, as soon as I got him, it was like, I got to document what this is. I got to measure him. I got to like figure out how to make him work. Cause he doesn't work inside. And it's like, it's cool. I have it in my collection, but if I don't also show people like, this is how they made those pieces. Then what's the point of doing it? You know, it's kind of yeah, like, it's, that it, word it, out there. Just kind of getting getting that story about you know like how, how is this stuff made and how is this particular thing made? And I don't know. It's just interesting. That's kind of a flaw of mine. Like I so many times like I want to like I don't know make some super detailed I don't know like Facebook post or message board post or something like that. For so long I started talking about doing a, like a detailed blog or something, and then the the cleaning up the town documentary popped up. But I've, I've, I don't know. I've been wanting some sort of resource just to be able just to dump stuff. But um. I kind of find myself, yeah, just, just posting interesting things and threads and GB fans or, you know, Spangler's 1984 yeah. workbench on Facebook. You've been posting for a long time. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a while. <laughs> um, so this is a, that's a good transition point to sort of ask this question. And like, sure. how, like you, for folks who don't know cleaning up the town, cleaning up the town is like probably the most prolific documentary on how uh, Ghostbusters was made, right? Like that has been released um, mm-hmm. and it's beloved by the community. It was, a lot of community resource and insight and information went into it. Um, but you were an editor on that film. So like, I was. how did, mm-hmm. how did you come into, that's a sort of a good question to ask is like, how did you come into getting involved with cleaning up the town and stepping into that role? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I, when they first announced it, I mean, what was it like 2008, 2009, maybe. Yeah. Um, I like just right after I read through a press release, I uh, messaged them on Facebook and I was like, Hey, like, you know, I'm stateside. I don't know what kind of help you need on anything. I was just getting started on my career. And I guess I should preface this by saying I, I uh, work in video production as a nine to five, do a lot of like corporate stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, and industrial videos and that kind of thing. So we don't really work in cinema, but, you know, kind of have my foot in production a little bit. Um, and, I, and I do editing, I do motion graphics and that kind of stuff. And when they just announced it, I, I might've been three or four years into my career and I'm like, Hey, I don't know what I can do to help out, but if there's anything I can do, you know, Please feel right. free. Just give me a shout. And over the years, I kind of started being like their um, stateside resource because they're in the UK. So, you know, if like a crew member or something finds like a VHS or, you know, a stack of photos they want scanned or something like that, 
So they don't have to send that all like international to the UK. They would just kind of send right. it to me and I would, you know, like scan it, send it back and kind of shoot that over to the Buenos. And, uh, and then, you know, like uh, post-production kept going and they kind of had a need for an editor and just, you know, we kind of joined, joined forces. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of there, so I was already kind of talking to them and stuff, and it, it just kind of felt like a good fit. And I think initially they were kind of wanting someone a little closer to them that they could, you know, kind of talk to and work with. But, um, you know, we just had an awesome working relationship on Zoom and just bouncing renders back and forth and talking all the time. And it, was, it, it worked out great. I'm, I'm just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. I'm in Arkansas. Um, I guess geographically, if, if people are curious. <laughs> gotcha. So that, so that as a case, anybody was ever wondering, like, was cleaning up the town an international incident? Yes. <laughs> it, was. <laughs> it was just, it was just a lot of fun, you know, and we, we kicked off, I think around 2016, like right after answer the call came out, I think they were wanting to have the documentary done by then, but it just, just hadn't happened. So, you know, after 2016 and, and you know, the, what happened to the community after that, you know, my, my focus was, was on that documentary and then, then through the pandemic and working through the pandemic. So that, that also kind of was, uh, was always kind of going, you know, nights and weekends. It was just a huge, huge undertaking, but you know, it was a passion project. How, sure. how long from like your initial involvement in that project until it came out, like how long were you all working on it? Uh, I think they were working on it since 08, 09. I had been on it kind of like in an official capacity since 2016. Gotcha. So, um, I, I, I probably, uh, need to take a lot of the, the blame for how long it took to come out. <laughs> it, perhaps my work was a little bit self-indulgent. I'm not sure. I, I think, uh, the, the GB2 doc will go be a little bit faster to come out, but yeah. Gotcha. No, it's, I didn't ask to be critical about it as much as I think that there was a lot of work that went into putting that documentary together, um, from, you know, so much work, and, you know, like Claire and Anthony, I mean, they had, uh, done work with, you know, in, in the, the film biz in the UK, as far as like, you know, like red carpet interviews and a lot of that stuff, like some social media, like movie news and stuff like that. But they, I mean, they had worked on a, an American werewolf in London documentary. Mm -hmm. And I think Anthony was just like, Hey, I can do this. Let's, let's do this. Let's make a Ghostbusters documentary. And, you know, so I mean, that takes a lot of nerve on their part, you know, so it's just really cool. And the, the, the learning experiences we had kind of making it, it's just, it was just a, it was a fun road. And if you've never seen cleaning up the town, you totally should. Uh, because if you listen to this podcast and you've never like watched that movie, you, you have, you have a gap, <laughs> you have a knowledge gap that you should absolutely fill uh, because <laughs> absolutely, yeah, it's fun. And it's, you know, like, I, of course there had been, you know, going back to 84, you know, there were uh, making of pieces and there were a lot of retrospective pieces throughout the years. And, you know, while we were working on it, you know, uh, pieces that come out like, you know, the, the real special and uh, there might've been one other yeah. one, but, um, yeah, the, the, the movies that made us. Yeah. And, uh, but it, you know, it was just a, a huge passion project and we just put a ton of, you know, a ton of ourselves into it. And a lot of fans helped mm -hmm. out fans and other collectors would, you know, submit stuff. And so I, I would kind of bring like, you know, some of that knowledge of that. I had been kind of like, you know, reading this stuff for my entire life. And I'm like, well, you know, as I'm editing, I'm like, well, what, what am I going to hide this cut with? Is it going to be a still or is it going to be a little behind the scenes video or whatever? And, and just kind of knowing what had been out there, what hasn't, what, what was new. Right. You know, we would try to bring just as much new stuff to the, to the documentary as we could, you know, new storyboards or images or photos or just whatever, you know, stuff that had popped up online, stuff I knew.
other people had slides up in their collection or whatever. A lot of, a lot of people were really cool and helped out. And you know, I, I don't know, in a way it was a community involvement and it's a fan film at its heart. And, yeah. You know, I think that like that, like there's a lot to be said about that and the edit. And I'm saying this is in a complimentary way that it's like, um, mm. don't, I don't want this to be sort of come out the wrong way that it's like, Hey, these two other projects were not good. Like, but like the movies that made us project, right. Um, mm. and the reels, uh, documentary, like those are two things that mm. are made by people who are outside the community and who are going mm. to sort of produce in a way that is designed for, um, how do I put this? The normals. Uh, no, <laughs> the, 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 the person who is just randomly watching a Netflix series about the movies that made us right. That that's not the, uh, as, as Franklin would say, you're scaring the, streets. yeah, like, you know, like, but that's kind of what I'm getting at is it's like that those approaches to those, to those projects are more oriented about like, Hey, let's talk to an average person who likes movies from this era and knows them and doesn't have a lot of the deep history about them. Whereas I think you're leaning into the fan community and sort of taking content to patch over dialogue or weird cuts and stuff. It adds like a texture mm-hmm. to the film. You know, it feels more like a documentary project than it does a talking head project. If that makes sense of like people doing confessions. Yeah, no, you yeah, know? no that's like, and that's like those, that's like cool. the real stuff, the way it's cut up, even though it's like a lot of it's cut from various different interviews over time. Like it's all mm-hmm. cut in a way to feel like it's talking heads and confessional like interview segments. Right. And I think what's cool Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. cleaning up the town is it doesn't do that. It kind of leans into all these different pieces Mm -hmm. that are out there to stitch it together. So good work. I enjoy your film. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. And you know, like, uh, um, Anthony was uh, my co-editor on it. Anthony was also the the director, Anthony Bueno. And, uh, so what I, what I edited together was this like kind of the, the assembly cut, which was like super long. And he, and you know, we had had discussions about how are we going to get this thing down to two hours? Cause they had a, you know, a, a time they wanted to hit a runtime. And I, you know, I was so close to it. I'm like, I can't cut this thing down, man. So he, he kind of, he kind of trimmed it down to exactly the story he wanted to tell. What was your longest was cut? Really cool. Do you remember? Between five and six hours, maybe <laughs> something like that. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Now I'm like, we think that there's missing content and lost parts of Ghostbusters movies. So what's missing from cleaning up the town that we didn't exactly. see? Exactly. <laughs> what's the documentary on the documentary? No, I think they've got some plans on things to you know for for bits of info that hit the the cutting room floor that they're going to do in That's the awesome. future. That um, not even including the too hot to handle documentary, but yeah, there's. So they're going to get their, you know, they're going to get that info out there somehow. Which we'll talk about that in a few minutes to the extent that, you know, um, you're comfortable talking about it because I know it's a project that's not really done. Um, You know, it's still a project being made. But um, but I think I really enjoy cleaning up the town and found that it'd be a really valuable resource. And I think that that, you know, comes from the fact that you have people who are making it who are not coming into it from the outside and trying to dissect but are inside and can see like where moving parts and pieces and priorities are for the fandom and explaining things. Um, Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that you feel comfortable sharing that, you know, you didn't get to keep, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. I should have thought about that more Um, before we started talking. Uh, There was some really cool discussion about uh, developing the beams and the look of the beams. Yeah. uh, With, with the um, in-house photographer at boss films. Uh, Virgil Morano and, and the production people. And I thought that was really cool because, you know, Virgil was 
more like a documentarian on set. And he wasn't like shooting elements for the film. He was shooting, you know, behind the scenes images, but he was such a photography nut and, you know, interested in, in photography and post-processing and stuff like that, that they talked to him and kind of brought him into the crew about like, Hey, what kind of photographic you know techniques can we use to make these beams? You know, back in the days, you know, pre-computer, all that was handmade. So just that kind of stuff I thought was really interesting, really just esoteric things. Um, but I thought, you know, Anthony really did an awesome job knocking it down to two hours and, and getting it out there to where it's a, a, you know, it really hits every, every scene and every, every bit in the film. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of going back to the reels thing, you know, I guess, you know, I, I, I watched it and I liked it and it was really cool. And I guess, you know, what, what, what's different there is that's probably being produced by some, by someone that works like at a studio or a post-production facility that yeah. you know, that's their job for the week. And they're going to get this piece out and move on. And sure. you know, it's, it's, it's going to be done. And this thing, it, we just, and I know a lot of people were complaining about the timeline and, and you're getting get the documentary out and it, it took a while. And again, I was, that was probably on me. We're going to be a little faster next time, but it was, you know, some of that added to it. And you know, had cleaning up the town been put out in 2012, or 2016 or yeah. you know, it would have looked completely different and there wouldn't have been as much stuff that we hadn't seen in it. You know, they were still finding stuff from crew members. Like, uh, I'm trying to think there's a, a finished concept painting of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man that was illustrated by uh, Boss Films, Matt Painter, Michelle Moen. That was really cool that we got that had never been seen before. And she had illustrated it and painted it on like on top of a huge photo that they had taken on set. So, you know, yeah, yeah. it was this illustrated marshmallow man, like, you know, in amidst all this uh, photographic, you know, New York stuff, it's just that kind of stuff, you know, like we really kind of released it at the perfect point to where it had a lot of really cool stuff in it. Do you think that the lead up to afterlife, like the production lead up to afterlife, like you say, post 2016 contributes mm-hmm. in a way to sort of like, like, and this is a weird way to think about it. It's like when you say like, if we released it in 2012, we would have had less stuff. But do you think mm-hmm. that the sort of the people in the community, both at the production level and at a fan level who were like kind of being tapped in consultant ways and things that see, you know, we didn't really necessarily know about because there were some people mm-hmm. out there who were like, hey, in conversations, like, do you have this thing? Um, th- <laughs> do you think that that lead up to afterlife and the need to go back and find all the old stuff like that? Do you think that contributed to the film? Like, would it, did, did that make a big difference in how the film came out in the end? Like, cause to, like, I've thought about this a bit, like that you all had a lot of time to sort mm-hmm. of work in the end, like after like pandemic time happened, like the film came out in November of mm-hmm. 2021. Right. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, was that? Yeah. Yeah. So, the delays and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, if you think about that delay that happens with afterlife and also how you're like working on your final, cuts and edits of that documentary along the same time. Do you think that that helped to like find resources? For sure. For sure. I know. Like, I mean, we were, it, it helped just, you know, getting the documentary out around the same time as afterlife was, was nice. Cause we didn't think that was going to happen because, you know, it was going to be released super quick. And I don't know the, the timeline is, it's kind of hard to remember because we, we were at fan fest showing a preview of it and there was a chance that that was going to be a full screening of the documentary right i remember that as it was at that point right so um but yeah i mean they were we were still getting interviews and oh and a lot of stuff kind of like right up until the end so i I think it i think it helped out you know like in in kind of keeping up with you know afterlife and the the you know pre-release stuff for afterlife and you know jason's interviews 
he he talked about like when him and Gil were kind of digging through like the files and they found like the earliest scripts they could find for Ghostbusters and you know like one one of the things that I kind of noticed him talking about he's like there are no scene numbers in it and you know I thought that was kind of interesting so I went back to the earliest script you know we had that has popped up and it's it's available online the July eighty three draft and. And that was the one without seeing numbers. So I guess, you know, that, that stuff, none of that had surfaced prior to Afterlife had right. been coming out. And I don't know. That, it, now that I think about it, I don't think the July draft materials in the documentary. But anyway, that stuff kind of runs <laughs> together. But it's just, I don't know. It's just interesting to kind of, you know, see this stuff kind of surface and, and pop up and, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Because to me, that's one of the things that I went, okay, there's a 35th anniversary happening. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of historical stuff. But because that new movie was being made, as people were going back into archives and pulling things out that they had opening boxes they hadn't opened in years. Mm -hmm. I for me, I felt like we started to see things even just on like Instagram of like, hey, I opened this box and I worked on this movie 30 years ago. Look what I found. You know, you're like. Wow, look at that. That's a piece of, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man's costume that Billy Bryan hasn't showed us before. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. yeah. That stuff's wild. It, it, you know, I, I see what you're you're asking. Um, and it's, it, you know, that stuff's been going on for so long, though. Like, uh, just little little nuggets will pop yeah. up, whether it's at auctions or collections or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Not necessarily, because I thought Answer the Call would bring up stuff. You know, I... I thought the video game would bring more stuff to the surface yeah. uh, and that didn't so much, but you know, I guess there, there was kind of a, a, a vibe prior to afterlife when they were, you know, around the time of fan fest when, you know, we knew they had, they had scanned the dailies and uh, uh, Shelly Khan had found his, uh, the preview cut VHS tape. So right. a lot of that stuff came out. I, I don't think it so much happened, you know, helped or benefited cleaning up the town right? because they didn't have that official connection. And had that been there, maybe, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I think to answer your question, yeah, Afterlife did bring a lot of stuff to the surface. Yeah. But maybe, uh, I don't but, think it's but so maybe much not in a way helped the documentary. Town, yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Um, yeah. Oh, that's fair. That's a fair, reasonable answer. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, but so much, you know, even after that, like, you know, since the preview cut, since, you know, all these new, you know, the dailies and that kind of stuff, I, I would just love to go back just to my edit and like just dump all that right. stuff in you know updated or advisor i'm not going to but you know, no you so see, that's, that's you have to do that now now you have to peter jackson this thing <laughs> you have to like make it the completest cut and it's like 11 hours of just on the one movie i mean that's I, like and that's a compare the two things they're completely different projects and mediums but it's like i was thinking about mm. this when i was processing through james green's book um a few mm. weeks ago right that it was like he has 200 pages on the entire franchise <laughs> right it's like cleaning up the house town cleaning up the town is two hours just on the first movie alone. One of the things I always say about the reels documentary, as much as I enjoy it, and this isn't to like slag it or throw it under the bus. And the same thing for sort of the the movies that made us series is that like, they are more focused on the cultural impact of Uh the artifact, right. Or whatever it is that's being talked about. And so that means like the movies that made us or the reels documentary are going to get into like, Hey, there was a toy line and Hey, there was a cartoon. And Hey, there's all these other things. Whereas cleaning up the town is very much like, it's uh, to me, it's like the video version of making Ghostbusters in a sense that it's like it's focused predominantly on production of the one movie. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was just it was strictly just a, no, a nuts and bolts look at the at the production of the first film and, you know, eventually the second film. Um, you know, it started out, it was going to cover both Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters, too. And then, you know, I guess after I'd come aboard. Anthony and Claire had made the decision to cut it in half, but um, 
Yeah, and, and I'd seen some people kind of saying it was kind of weird how they didn't mention the cartoon or the toys or the cultural impact. And it was strictly just, and I, even from Anthony's like initial idea, it was just the making of the film, right? Which I, I thought was really cool. And you know, had it been my piece, is exactly you know the decision I would have made too. I yeah, I think it's I think it's a smart decision. And I think it's one of the reasons that I enjoy the movie as being a very specific thing like that. It's there are other things that have talked about the cultural impact of ghostbusters. And by no means is this to like take Mm. anything away from like James Green's book, we just talked about a few minutes ago, but like that his book is attempting to cover all of ghostbusters in 200 pages. And that's what I like about cleaning Mm. up the town in so many ways is that it's like, this is an opportunity to go deep. I didn't realize that there was originally a plan to do both movies in one documentary, which to Mm. me would have been Mm. like, you would have lost so much, like so much interstitial stuff. you know, for sure. That was, that was kind of my, uh, 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 my thoughts on it. It was like, Hey, I mean, why, you know, double your yield of what you're <laughs> producing here. You can, you can make twice as much, but no, I mean, it was, it, it would have been a disservice to the interviews. And I think that's kind of how they saw it. And, you know, they, they made that call and it was, that was really cool. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just, there's uh, something cool about that on a personal level, which mm-hmm. uh, like, I know that you are obviously a historian of the entire, you know, film franchise, but like, do you have to pick between the two movies, Ghostbusters one and Ghostbusters two? You only get to keep one. <laughs> Which one are you keeping? Uh, I'm going to keep a photocopy of Hellbent on the deserted island. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I love Ghostbusters two. You know, I mean, Ghostbusters the original. It, you know, of course, it's the, it's classic cinema. It's you know, it's perfect. Ghostbusters two is you know, it's not quite as perfect, but it's still really good. I think I have more like a nostalgic love for Ghostbusters 2 than I do for yeah. the first film, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I'd probably keep a copy of Ghostbusters 2 on a deserted island if I had a little TV and a VCR. I think um, when I think about that movie, it's a part of it. I think the reason why it has that feeling for some of us is that like I still the first movie to me is always going to be like probably the most important thing to me. But the second movie, mm-hmm. I think you're right, has a bit of a nostalgic thing to it, because for many of us, like we were too young to like there wasn't a phenomenon yet. Right. Like in eight, exactly. like in 83, I was three years old. Ernie was awesome. My biggest like cultural standpoint in life is that Ernie and Bert were buying, you know, were trading in their items to Mr. Hooper in order to get boxes for each other's <laughs> items. Like that was like my world was around Sesame Street when I was three. And there was no cultural phenomenon known as Ghostbusters yet. Right. But it's like by the time you get to the second movie. It is an active phenomenon. There's a cartoon that's been on air for two years. There's cereal that I have. There's so it's like there's the thing coming. Right. And I think that for some of us who grew up with that movie, like and who didn't watch it and go, it's it's a bad sequel. (laughs) But like kids (laughs) who were waiting and kind of came into that movie together. I think there is like a shared relationship you know sort of like of, of of encountering a movie being released in the same sense that like the first like the that keaton's batman movie has the same sense to me right you can never take away all of the excitement all the shit that it was just like wow there's a batman movie coming you know exactly yeah, yeah it was kind of you know the, the the anticipation of ghostbusters 2 and you know it's almost kind of you know viewing it like that's kind of like how are they adapting it to a sequel? Cause I mean, it's, in a way it's like an adaptation of real ghostbusters and you know, how are yeah. they taking these new elements and putting it into the movie? So I don't know. I think that's, that's just, and that kind of gets, again, gets back to, you know, the develop developing, you know, these films and, and stuff, just these curiosities I have for it. And, you know, man, even kind of going, you know, kind of, you know, talking about, you know, not knocking the reels piece, the reels documentary. And, 
you know, I think that kind of brings me to a point where it's like, you know, there's, I don't think there's any competition between, no, you know, behind the scenes books or no. behind the scenes documentaries. Like, you know, when, when a new Ghostbusters thing comes out, like, you know, James's book or, you know, the visual history, that kind of thing, uh, the Eagle Moss book that came out a few years ago, it's like, what, what new images or content or, you know, bits of information do we have? You know, like right. everything will probably bring a handful of new, you know, factoids and pictures and drawings or whatever. And that's the kind of stuff I love, you know, that, that I look out for on each thing that I see that, you know, and I think, you know, cleaning up the town brought a lot of new stuff to the, to the table. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but it didn't bring everything. There's no way you can cram, you know, four months, five months, I don't know, six months, however long the development was in production of Ghostbusters, you know, that's a, there's a lot of things being generated. There's a lot of work being done. There's just a lot of stories. And I think, you know, as fans, we're always going to have new things to learn and, and see, you know, over the years as things kind of come out new, you know, people that have never been interviewed will be interviewed. And it's just, I don't know. I, I'm just really, I'm passionate about this. Stuff, yeah. Man. No, really I hear cool. that. That's, and, and I, so I guess what I want to ask you next, maybe is a little bit kind of a left turn, but, um, mm. I have mentioned this to you off air previously that I had seen that you had this collection of like ILM images from Ghostbusters two of the Scalaris um, and sort of the way the Scalaris were filmed. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and I have to admit that I had never seen those images before. Like, I didn't know if they Mm -hmm. had ever been published anywhere. Like, have they, are they in the visual? I don't believe they have. And, And they were just, you know, raw frames of film developed onto a huge, you know, 16 by 20 sheet or whatever it was that the animators would use to, to uh, you know, add the beams and stuff. So no, I don't think there were, you know, those particular images had been published or released, but you know, there's, but if you think about, it, you know, that was like four or five things I put up on eBay, but if you think 24 frames per second of film for everything yeah. that ILM shot on Ghostbusters, that's a lot of stuff, you know, right. Uh, unit photographers are on set, you know, snapping photos every day. So say, you know, they're shooting film, 35 millimeter film, they're shooting, you know, there's like 32 images on a roll of film. Maybe they're shooting two or three rolls mm-hmm. of film a day. That's a lot of images that we never see that that are out there lingering. And, you know, that, that stuff's out there and they're, they slowly pop out. And when, I, when I saw them, it blew my mind because it was like, I suddenly understood how you make a Scolari brother. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So like you shoot this in high contrast, black and white, like, but with a negative. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. that like gives you like essentially like your framework for your ghosts. Then you can do your cinematic effects on top. And I was like, oh, this is how this works. This is how you yeah, do all yeah. these, how, all the things of Photoshop or all the things you could do in Premiere in like two seconds today. Like, mm-hmm. here's how mm-hmm. you painstakingly do them. Um, and it was fascinating to me. And then I was like, I wish I bought these. <laughs> and that's like, I don't have money to buy, pay you for them, which is not my way of being like, Derek, if you didn't sell them, feel free to send them here. <laughs> but, like, but, you know, it's just that, that click that happens. And that's, that's part of, you know, what, what really kind of drives me and continuing to like research this stuff and read about it. You know, when something like that does click and not only does like a, a it click within like your, what you understand of Ghostbusters and what you think of it, but it's just cinema in general and like how, effects are done and photographically how things were done back then and you know how it's so easy to do things now and oh no just just that all that kind of mixed together i think it's just really cool so I, when i watch you be willing to part with said images <laughs> i have to <laughs> i have to then ask you what's something that you value that you have in your collection that you would say has been really mind-blowing in that same sense of like revealing how the sausage is made like because and i say mm. that not to be like hey you don't care about those images as much as like you're like hey i have 
these I can part with. Right. So there's <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and a lot of that stuff is just uh, it was just duplicate stuff I had. Like I didn't, need, yeah. you know, like uh, three frames of the exact same Scalari. Right. So I decided to keep one and I'm going to you know, sell the other two. Um, one thing in my collection that kind of. That kind of. Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, I guess for me, like, I don't know, it, it, it's not necessarily the coolest thing in my collection, but something that just really kind of made me think and kind of understand things differently was uh, a call sheet I got from, from Ghostbusters, an original call sheet. It was, gotcha. Someone had wadded it up and, you know, stuck it in a closet for 30 years, I guess. And it had been listed on eBay. It was from the uh, LA library shoot. Okay. Where they shot inside, and, you know, uh, the librarian actress was down there. I don't know, just kind of seeing that stuff, like, you know, hey, what time did the cinematographer get to set? What time did the makeup person get to set? Just seeing <laughs> all that stuff kind of made me think of it. It's like, oh, yeah. So, you know, in, in our heads, we have Hollywood and cinema built up to be this just huge, epic, monolithic thing. And it's really not. It's just a bunch of people coming together, yeah. you know, on a schedule and making some creative content. And it's just, I don't know, just the, the, the mass scale of that with cinema just really... Yeah, I just think it's really cool. And kind of seeing, I guess, call sheets. And, you know, I have some Ghostbusters 2 call sheets. And seeing that kind of stuff in the schedules and, you know, how fast it takes to make this stuff, you know, then versus now. And I don't know. But I guess, yeah, you know, the schedules and call sheets, I, I guess. To no, I think that's – I like that because it's kind of interesting. It tells you who was there, right? What, like, mm -hmm. the plan was for the day. What, exactly, you know, yeah, how, what yeah. unfolded each day. It's kind of like the minutes, you know, um, of a meeting. It, it, it is. It, you know, and I guess, you know, I mean – why I'm so interested in this stuff is just because I was, you know, how is it made and how can I make one? And, you know, over the years, I don't necessarily want to make stuff of, on my own right now. I just kind of enjoy researching, you know, other people's stuff. But um, I don't know. It's just really just you know, kind of seeing behind the curtain, so to speak. You know, we've seen behind the curtain, but just getting a, a deeper peek at it, you know. And yeah, it's just I don't know, it's hard to put in words. No, I, I get that. It's um, I think that there's a a sort of a visceral thing that happens when you touch an artifact like that. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like mm -hmm. you feel connected to a piece of history that lets you understand like where this thing came from. And for sure, it for deepens, sure, yeah, it deepens yeah. your knowledge of it, deepens your understanding of context. You know, and I think that's why mm -hmm. I think that's why like documentaries like uh, cleaning up the town or even something like the reels stuff you know, or James's book or any of these things are like or the old making mm -hmm. Ghostbusters. I mean, like. Think about the fact that they took that making Ghostbusters book, right? That was like from what year is that come out? Like 85, 86? 80, it came out in 85. Yeah. Yeah. So we get that ultimate box set that comes out the last year. And what's one of the things we got to put in that box? Because it's such a valuable resource that people care about it so much, but a smaller version of that exact book, right? Like that was so cool. I was so glad they put that out. Yeah. Which, I swapped a few emails with Don Shea, like when we were making the documentary and I was just, just on top of myself. I just couldn't believe it. It was so cool. I'm like, dude, I've been reading your book my entire life. And it's, <laughs> and now I'm kind of making this thing. It's, it's not an offshoot of it, but it kind of maybe kind of continues what you were doing. And yeah. I don't know. It's just, that's just really cool. Like that weirdly enough, that book also, like when we think, talk about the fan community and the contributions of the fan community towards like make, maintaining the history, the reason mm -hmm. they could even make that book was because they went back to Spook Central and went to Paul Rudolph and got his PDF of the book because he was like, I scanned it. It's out of print and I'm just going to give people the entire book as a PDF, which you go, is that 
legal? I'm not even sure. <laughs> like, is that still a copyrighted work? But lo, lo and behold, who does Sony turn back to? But the historians within the community to find this piece of text and then to reproduce it, albeit in a smaller mm-hmm. format. Um, yeah. Like, for I, sure. It's, and it's interesting, kind of like, you know, I mean, kind of going back to like the, the making Ghostbusters and stuff, like when, you know, when Facebook started to become a thing and, you know, you could like friend crew members of your favorite films. You know, Michael Gross yeah. is a big Facebooker. And I remember him talking about like, he was childhood friends with Don Shea, I believe. And like a lot of the concept artists of Ghostbusters. And that's kind of like how, like why we even got making Ghostbusters. Right. You know, Don Shea was doing Cinefix magazine at the time. Uh, it, you know, I don't know the details of it, but I, I, I'm guessing Michael Gross was just like, Hey, we want to do this book. Come on, come on out and get it. And I don't know. It's just kind of cool seeing like, you know, just the inner workings of that stuff and how it kind of came to be. And it's just really fascinating, man. I love it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I to me, I, I think that, it, I don't know. I just, I, there's a thing that I value about um, collectors and fan historians who mm. contribute in this way. And it's like, this is an analogy, but um, <laughs> so masters of the universe, like is something that mm. I used to collect very deeply at a different point in my mm. life. You guys talked about a little bit earlier and in 2000 or 2001, they wanted to put out like a 20th anniversary set of figures and they were the first two waves of the figures that were released in the 80s well problem with this of course was that mattel didn't have any of the old molds because they'd been lost you know to like taiwanese and chinese factories in the 80s where the molds were i think one of the one of the things i read was that the one of the molds ended up being used as like an anchor for a boat like that <laughs> like somewhere <laughs> under the ocean, there's a boat staying in place because Skeletor is there. Uh, you know, it's like they just became scrap metal or in some cases they were knocked off and bootlegged by bootleg toy makers who then used the same buck for He-Man's body for stuff. But mm-hmm. when it came time to be like, hey, we need actual like um, artifacts to be able to base things off. They didn't have them. They didn't even mm-hmm. have archived mm-hmm. copies of their own figures in the package. Because Mattel in 1982 was like, whatever, we're producing toys for kids. So they end up going back to eBay in like 2000, 2001 and quietly buying up mint on mint card figures so that that way they could pull them out of the packages, scan all of the mini comics, scan all the back card art, take all the figures and take all their pieces apart, recast them to develop new molds based off of the original. And it's like, you can't do that and create an ongoing like and that revitalizes in some way like Masters of the Universe. That is a like mm-hmm. it's at the same time they put out a new cartoon series. So it's like we're going to bridge the gap between the vintage and the new by running this classic collection, limited edition 15,000 figures or whatever it is. But the only mm-hmm. way to get there is by turning back to the fan community to make it happen. Right. Yeah. And it, it's wild. They wouldn't keep that stuff, you know, and I, I guess. Yeah, you, you always hear about studios just, you know, throwing stuff away. And, you know, I heard this thing, the same stories working on the documentary, like from, you know, through the, the Buenos, like, you know, huge boxes of photos just being chunked, you know. Um, and a lot of times when Ghostbusters, like, props will pop up on auctions, even, you know, all through the years, it'll say, like, from the archive of Michael C. Gross. Right. So, like, you know, a lot of that stuff, I guess he just kind of kept it and sold it. And, you know, a lot of, they just didn't keep it. Yeah. There's not like some big, huge, massive, you know, archive of original art and, and stuff, you know, 
Sony kept what they kept, but that's, you know, a lot of it kind of went out to the fans. And I don't know, it's kind of interesting if you think about, you know, I guess Star Wars doesn't have that nearly as much, you know, because because Lucas kept so much and was just very. They built a compound, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) If Ivan Reitman had built like Reitman land. And he just like it was in Canada and all of the Ghostbusters stuff had been carried off to Canada to a mountain <laughs> vault somewhere. Right. Pete like Batman Ranch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that funny. would be that would be kind of funny, right? Like Yeah. But you, you hear so much about the Sony archives and stuff like that. And I I'm, I can't imagine what they've got. I'm sure oh, it's, yeah. it's just a you know uh I mean a, just having come from the museum, that. you know, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. on the tour, like I stood next to Johnny Five. I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's I was so like, cool. I said it to my brother. My brother and I were huge short circuit fans as kids. I said it to him, and he's like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, <laughs> he was more impressed by that than any of the Ghostbusters shit. <laughs> and I guess you know, maybe kind of you know, take it back to you know the same images and the same things always being published time after time again. Maybe that that kind of goes back to you know they they have you know whatever kind of you know handful of slides they have around and that, that's it. That's all. And that's it. Right. There, you know, and that's where the, the passion of the fans kind of coming in on these, you know, BTS things and, you know, the, the things that the, the, you know, the editors and producers working on the stuff that don't have that passion for it, that want to make a quality product and get it out. You know, they won't spend that extra time and trying to dig up that, those just extra little nuggets. And I guess that's where, it, you know, these fan produced things kind of really, really, really shine. Yeah. And I think in some cases it's stuff that they don't even remember is out there. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's part of it is it's like there is certain stuff that has been sitting in boxes for so long that it doesn't it, no one remembers it's there. I mean, this is mm-hmm. it's dumb to say this, but like I have that problem. <laughs> like, oh, I, yeah. I can go in my closet right now <laughs> and open a box and go, what the hell is even in here? Right. And that if you're a person who's made three four dozen you know media projects over your life like i mean let's mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. even if you made 15 movies like how much stuff would you possibly potentially have in the process of that as you've developed i find old like student evaluations as a teacher <laughs> from mm-hmm. like 20 years ago <laughs> and i'm like why do i have these like but so it's like, like imagine people like asking you to put them on ebay you know and then buying them and, and that kind of stuff that's gotta be weird i mean i can't imagine it from you know uh, the crew members perspective, you know, people wanting to buy your old drawings and notes and that yeah. kind of thing and, and pouring over them and picking them apart and that kind of thing. So I could, I could just kind of see where that would be kind of, kind of a strange thing for, you know, for directors or crew members or whatever, but it's, I don't know. There's just, you know, but it's like, also, fans, I guess. <laughs> it's also kind of fun. Cause it's like, um, you know, when Pat Thrall, like last year, was it when he mm-hmm. came out and was like, Hey, I actually finally have dug up the, 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 the stuff. I have the tracks. Here is what the Hughes and Thrall theme was. Mm-hmm. And like, we all heard it and we went, whoa, that's not at all. We thought the Hughes and Thrall theme was because all our <laughs> exactly. fan info was wrong. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of stuff that's so exciting to me at this point, because like there are guys out there who are still with us who are paring down where they live. They're doing this. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like deciding to like reduce their footprint in terms of like where they're living. They had big houses. And now maybe they're moving into smaller situations, closer to family. And it's like mm-hmm. in the process, they're going to pare down how much crap they have. And so they go, Oh, I found this thing that no, nobody would otherwise probably been interested in, except that we as fans have been trying to find it and bugging them for so long. Like, yeah, I finally found it. I'm gonna put it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, last I heard the Ackroyd script was still missing, you know, where's that, you know, uh, it's just, it's just wild. It's, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. And it's just a, 
good hobby. It's and it's accessible to fans. You know, it's not like a you know crazy expensive thing. I mean, you could find some really cool stuff on uh, on eBay and auctions and and all that. It's, it's, it's there's stuff still around. Stuff what still is your around. um? What's your lost grail piece then? Is that it? Like the Ackroyd script? Is that the lost grail piece for you? Like we got to find it. It is. Yeah, I've been. I've been. I don't know. Maybe I've been kind of researching Ghostbusters this whole time because I've wanted to read it and I haven't been able to. And it's, I'm just kind of like, it, it's out there and I want it. Yeah, it's um, I, I, that would be it. That's my that's my white whale for sure. The, the Ackroyd script. I wish Sony, and this is like, if anyone inside the Ghost Corps offices or currently sitting in London being like, I needed something to do, so I would go listen to some dipshits podcast. Um, I'm kidding. But like, uh, why is this not a product? Like, why is this not a compendium book that I can buy that has all these different versions of the script in it that have been released by the studio? Right. Because to me, it's like this is a no brainer. Like this is stuff we have sitting around the archives that we could keep hidden for the sake of, I don't know, being like, what if the movie could have been different? But Mm -hmm. if it were me, I would be sitting there going, hey, we have an entire library of works in progress that we could release as a 500 to 600 page volume. That's a thick, thick book that costs even like 100 bucks that you know, has original like art, has some of the stuff, has some of the photos from the visual history, but integrates it alongside mm-hmm. with those different script drafts. Like I'm just saying somebody like an expanded making Ghostbusters or something like that. Yeah. 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 Or but even if it wasn't, even if it didn't have commentary, even if you didn't want to do the work of like, if you that just want to be like, Hey, yeah. here is a book of Ghostbusters scripts, right? Mm-hmm. You could call it Ivan spirit guide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I would be first in line to buy it for sure. Yeah. Like, and I don't know. I, I, I remember, I guess around 2016, Ivan said they still hadn't found Dan's script. So I get, maybe they just don't have it. Maybe they just don't have enough. it. But yeah. So, I mean, hopefully it hasn't been lost to time. Uh, but that's, that's kind of like my white whale. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm like, uh, the more that I, I always think I know what mine is. And then mm-hmm. like I find out more stuff that exists and then I change my mind. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. It's hard to say. You never know. Like, I mean, there for a while, the, the commercial from Ghostbusters two was like my white whale. I just wanted to see it uncut in it's full, full glory. Yeah. And then they gave it to us. And you know, yep. after that, it was like, Oh, I want to see this early crap that they keep talking about. Um, and then, you know, boom, it got put on the box set. So I, I don't know, maybe, uh, the Ghostbusters two work print would be next on my uh, next on my yeah. list. I'd love to love to see that. Um, like for me, it was pop up. for a while. I know that for me, I, I really like the Fort Demering scene is still something that I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to see it. Um, but the, the the one that in the end I saw, and then I was like, all right, I, I'm over it now. <laughs> exactly. Was, um, yeah, you, you see why they cut it. It's like yes. I, I understand. It's just just being able to lay eyes. On yeah, it. it's kind and of it cool. was the Eugene Levy stuff. Right from Ghostbusters exactly. 2. Yeah. Like you watch what they cut and you're like, this was the right call. Right. Exactly. But, like, I, yeah. but I will admit that I want, I, I miss, I want to see those scenes of Robin Shelby um, doing all the Slimer work that was cut, you know? So there's oh, like sure. apparently scenes of Robin mm-hmm. Shelby eating an entire sandwich, having it shoved in her face <laughs> as Slimer. And she's talked about this of like basically taking a foot long sandwich to the face repeatedly because they had to shove it in Slimer's mouth. And so, she just took a sandwich to the dome <laughs> like, <laughs> and then they cut it. They never used it in the movie. Like, so she's, she got hit in the face with a sandwich a bunch of times for no reason. Yeah. That's, a, that's <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that stuff pops out. You know, if Sony keeps putting out box sets every other year or every other movie or whatever, and they give us just a little, you know, a couple of crumbles, I, I will buy it. Um, yeah. I'm not complaining one bit about it. 
but I think uh, I appreciate that you um that you are documenting and you you know sort of keep this cult this collection of production images you know, that you have alive because mm. like as much as I didn't pick up the ones you had on eBay um I to see them even was just like oh this is so mind blowing in terms of how like I never would have imagined this is how they'd created that effect yeah it's so. it's pretty it's pretty wild and you know that's what that's kind of what we're doing with the with the Ghostbusters two documentary just a lot of stuff that hasn't been out there um that we've kind of been gathering and i think that's just really going to be cool it's you know because you know ghostbusters who's never had any sort of dedicated making of thing it's been it's had a cinefax article it's been in the visual history you know but you know the first films had making ghostbusters it's had the the commentary for the dvd it's had all this other stuff and you know ghostbusters 2 is kind of like the you know i don't know the black sheep that didn't really get a lot of love and it's and that's that's it I think about it, honestly, Ghostbusters 2 is the absolute argument for film patina if there ever was one. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, a lot of people went, it's not good. And then we got to, like, it being 30 years old, and suddenly there was this weird internet, like, well, it's not bad. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not good, <laughs> but it's not bad. And you're like, yeah. right, it was never bad. It was just not, it was never as good as the first movie, because mm-hmm. very few sequels are, but it's not like, it's a terrible film. Like, it has lots of memorable moments and quotable moments in it and really exciting, fun parts to it. And, but is it the original? No, like, yeah, you know, and it's, you know, it's cool as a fan to, you know, be able to finally say that, be like, yeah, this this movie's great. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to like it. It's, it's really cool. Um, I, so I, this is a, is a good, you've sort of made this transition for us, which thank you. Cause it means I didn't have to figure it out. (laughs) Um, you talked a bit about the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how much you can share because, you know, you are working on it and mm-hmm. you know things are not done with it, but not like, when is it coming out? Uh, how much will it cost? <laughs> will it be on Blu-ray? Will you be screening it at Ghostbusters 40th anniversary fan fest? The thing I just invented. Um, <laughs> but, but um, so what, what should folks expect though? A lot, sort of the same vein of, um, focused on movie production. A lot of the nuts and bolts of Ghostbusters too. Yeah. Just, you know, development, uh, production, 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 excuse me there, uh, uh making of post-production, just all that kind of stuff. You know, every little, you know, uh, there's a lot of mysteries that are solved that, you know, stuff I've been like, you know, kind of curious about, you know, since I've been a fan and, you know, as a kid and, you know, and a lot of that stuff is kind of our goal to kind of answer those questions. But yeah, that's a, uh, I think that's what they've got to look forward to. Yeah. Um, so there's guess- news coming and, you know, I guess, Keep an eye out on uh, at Ghostbusters doc. Cool. Like that's we won't because we won't push you on like, when is the news coming or what is the news? <laughs> but uh, I guess here's a question I'll ask you about this, though, about the process of this. Mm-hmm. Are you finding is it easier this time than the first time to sort of pull things together because you've already like you already got a lot of resources that you were able to say, hey, we're going to put these aside for later mm-hmm. or like because you said this one will go faster. Are you finding that that's because you have access to resources already? There's less research to do, or I guess maybe that's a good question. How does the process of making this one differ from the last one? No, that's a, that's a great question. And it's really interesting because, you know, from between 84 and 89, I guess you had a lot of technology and like camcorders and stuff, because there's just a lot more uh, behind the scenes footage. That's just going to, you know, we're not going to have to like create, you know, uh, from still images, you know, movement and that kind of stuff. So it's just going to, it's just going to edit together a lot faster, but yeah, there's just a lot more kind of like actual like video content. And I think that's because, you know, there are just more camcorders around set. No, that's really true. I hadn't thought about that, that that would change the kind of um, documentary documentary work that was being done. Even mm-hmm. if it was just casual documentary work, like 
I was a few years ago that somebody had I some I found this YouTube clip that had been shared around the community for years of like some dad who took his kids to the Ghostbusters 2 like set. Right. Yeah, like and yeah. his kids, like they found out where the movie was filming. He took his kids down there. He brought the camcorder with him and they let the kids in to come meet them. And it's like these two kids meeting Bill Murray. And it's like they're just sitting around like having lunch in the costumes. And I'm like, I have never seen this footage before in my life. Oh, but it's, it's because it's, it finally it's incredible. Gets, yeah. Oh, wow. It's yeah. because it's like <laughs> some random person. Right. Who's just like mm-hmm. there. And his kids finally get the content. And they're like, look what my dad did for us when we were kids and digitizes it and puts it out on YouTube. And we're like. What the fuck? How did that happen? Like, it's I remember, like <laughs> even like Ackroyd Murray, they they introduced themselves in character, which was so cool yeah. to see on that video. And you know, the kids were asking like, "Hey, is the helicopter in the back of the ectomobile?" When they were you know, walking alongside yeah. the one A, and I don't know, yeah, that stuff's just so cool. Yeah, so it's cool. so cool. But like to me, it's like we didn't, we would never know that existed because no it's idea. just like yeah. random. And it's kind of in the strange way. It's like today you have all these cell phones around where people can just document everything and then they leak shit all the time because <laughs> they're the worst. But like, if you think about that difference though, you're not wrong. Like 1983, the, the VHS, like VCR is still a luxury for people to have in a home yeah, at that yeah. point. Like the video store has not hit peak. hasn't really like become a thing yet. Right. You, Buying I mean, a VHS cassette was a hundred dollars for you to yeah, buy it from your house. Probably. If you, you look know? at the props, they're even using in the film. I mean, you know, the, the camera and the video cassette recorder are two separate pieces. And yeah. 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 Heavy shoulder slung thing, you know, so they had become, so you get to 89 and it's like six years later, the technology has miniaturized and become more portable. So you have more of it around. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's some, and you know, there were, there was someone at ILM that, uh, I mean, this, this is kind of getting into the dock. I don't want to, tell too much of the story but you know he was yeah, yeah. kind of like given permission to um document a lot of stuff in video so and that's just that's just really cool and it's out there and it's you know see i wondered if it went the other direction honestly if you had asked me like which would be harder i would have thought that 89 would have been harder to get some of that behind the scenes info because mm-hmm. there was far more um how do I put this expectation and marketing tied to the film? Mm-hmm. Like the first movie comes out, the movie, first movie's coming out. It has almost like a star Wars effect to it. Like mm-hmm. nobody expects it to be a thing that spins off all of these merchandising deals. Mm-hmm. Right. But by the time you get to the 89 movie, it's like, Oh, well you have like a cartoon that exists. That's already had like McDonald's happy meal tie-ins and like, uh, you know, there, there's already all this different product out there. Coca-Cola now owns the movie studio, right? Like, there's a to me i would have wondered if there would have been a greater sense of trying to control the image of the product and it's making um that would have made it harder so it's kind of fascinating to find to sort of think about the idea that just the presence of video cameras maybe makes it easier to get yeah i I guess they just never meant the stuff to get out there you know it's it's the only thing it's all just stuff from ilm and you know sure never meant to be put out there you know ghostbusters 2 does have that awesome electronic press kit that you can watch on on youtube and stuff but yeah i guess they were probably trying to you know try to have a a heavier hand in marketing and that kind of stuff you're probably right yeah because and I think about that with afterlife even right. That it's like how many different product deals that we didn't actually see because mm-hmm. of the oh, pandemic, yeah, yeah. you know, like <laughs> Sonic stuff and all that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, what's, yeah. Um, Baskin Robin stuff, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of Ghostbusters two stuff is like kind of effects oriented because I, I don't know, in, in a way, I guess maybe production, the production arm, you know, uh, the Reitman and the, the main, you know, the main gang there. Maybe they were a little bit more kind of hesitant to put stuff out because, you know, you, Ghostbusters 1, you can find a lot more, you know, of the draft scripts and that kind of stuff, a lot more developments just out there. 
And, you know, yeah. I mean, they really didn't have any making of stuff for Ghostbusters 2. Again, you know, they never put it out. And I don't know, that was kind of weird that, you know, as, as a kid, I don't know, you, you think they would have at least kind of put something out there for it. But um, right. I didn't, maybe that was because it was made in such a hurry and there was such, you know, no development time and that kind of thing. And maybe there's just not as much, I don't know, emphasis put on that kind of stuff while a movie is being made. You know, you, you hear about Afterlife and the the making of Afterlife book, or I'm sorry, the art of Afterlife book. and how it almost didn't come out. And it was kind of a, right. You know, interesting situation that led to that. So I don't know. It's just, well, I think too, like the, like, I think if you go after 89, right, like you get into the mid nineties and you enter the world of the DVD. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And like the criterion collections and like all Mm -hmm. of like the special features. So it became like, there was a rationale to film documentary stuff about content because you were going to package that up and sell it too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like Ghostbusters two almost exists in this strange bubble, yeah, you know, yeah. that's like, that wasn't a product yet to sell to anybody. You weren't putting out extended cuts and alternate editions and deleted scenes as part of a media product. In fact, if you were doing anything, you're probably trying to compress your damn movie to fit it onto this VHS cassette exactly. and <laughs> not lose image quality. So it's like, it's kind of funny to think about it in that sense. But I honestly, I would have thought you were, I honestly thought you were going to say that it's harder to find some of the GB2 stuff because they were more tight lipped about it. Maybe but so. And, um, but, but I think you made a really good point. Like that, that's, there's a lot more camcorder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was just, they were just you know? shooting more, just more footage in general. And you, you missed Criterion. You know, I, I can't confirm this. I'd, I'd have to research it, but I heard somewhere that Joe Medjuk was one of the original Criterion founders. Oh, really? Yeah, which has a really cool, you know, uh, Ghostbusters connection yeah. because, you know, Criterion yeah. put out the original Ghostbusters Laserdisc, which, you know, really I guess, right. was around the time of making Ghostbusters. Yeah, but it was, you know, just had so much of that stuff in it. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I'd love to learn more about that. Like, what what all did Medjuk bring to the table and what were those conversations with Ryan and Mike? And, you know, hey, we want to put this out there. And, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. But it, it's kind of interesting that that existed at a Laserdisc level because it's like, that's so early to be doing. Hey, let's explore the way in which this sausage was made. Exactly. You know, like, and I don't know how many other laser discs had that kind of thing. I haven't really. What year did that come out? I don't Do know. You know? I, I thought it was eighty five. I, I know that making Ghostbusters is eighty five. I could be wrong on that. I'm not let's sure see. about the laser discs. I don't. I don't have. It. I've always wanted to buy one. Laser disc. Uh, I'm looking it up now. We're going to subject the listeners to this. Last week, I subjected listeners to making me get out of my, to me getting out of my chair to go look for things in my own collection. <laughs> so, um, sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> but if it's the, well, I guess there's more than one, isn't there? Yeah. Like there's, the um, the, the collector's edition, I think that has like the, the four guys lined up on a temple on the cover. Yeah. I'm seeing one here. It's the criterion collection, the laser disc in 89, which is interesting. That's what I, yeah, I was just going to say that. So, oh, okay, which would sorry. make sense, right? Like if no, that would make some sense though, right? Mm-hmm. If the ghostbusters, the original movies criterion disc comes out in 89 around the same time that, the second movie comes out mm. like they would fit together. It would make sense to market them that way, but it is it's kind of weird to think about. It's like four years later after the movie's made or five years later, here is your criterion collection that they went and found a bunch of the stuff. And it makes sense that they would do it then because by that point it was pretty clear how much of a success the movie was. It's cultural impact that you would actually have people go and buy such a product mm. because I mean, it'd be really weird if you like put out a movie like, I don't know the toy and then, you just expected everyone was going to buy a, a criterion collection of the toy. Um, 
some people out there are like, don't pick on that Richard Pryor movie. It's not a very good movie. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a, Sorry, a witty retort to that. But, you know, no luck. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's to me, like that's a fascinating thing to think about because I don't know how many other movies were getting that kind of treatment or that were in the initial steps of that kind of criterion treatment on Laserdisc. Mm-hmm. Um, so to find out that Joe Magic might have been involved in that is kind of neat. But um, yeah, I now I'm now I'm like, I glad i don't own a really laser disc player because i would run out I know like i'm, I'm like Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you could get all the you, you, you know all the content is out there online from from it but it'd be cool to have one to be fair you can probably pick up laser discs pretty cheap at this point well, i'm sure but, yeah <laughs> uh, i actually have a friend who's uh whose mother was the librarian for a county library district and when they went to eliminate all their laser discs about 10 years ago they were like, we're going to sell them off for like less than a dollar a piece. So he and his mother bought the entire County library's laser disc collection, oh, and all of their laser disc players. And if you talk to him now, he's like, I have these specific cuts of star Wars. I have the cut of star Wars where Han does where Han shoots first and it's untouched and it can't be messed with. Cause it's on a laser disc. That's funny. That's <laughs> awesome. It's just, I, yeah, yeah, he's I like the one that. guy I know who watches laser discs. <laughs> these old, old video formats are kind of interesting too. I've got, um, let's see. I've got the beta of Ghostbusters on beta and I've got it on Ghostbusters two on beta. I've got an eight millimeter copy of Ghostbusters two, which would have been played wow. on a, Airplane, I think is what they played them on. Like it was a Japanese release of Ghostbusters. It's just a really, it's it's kind of like high eight cassettes were used in the states for you know like consumer camcorders and stuff. But yeah, they yeah yeah the, the Japanese market had like an eight millimeter home video market, which is kind of neat. Huh. Yeah, this stuff uh, it's just such that. a deep dark abyss. You could dive down and you know collect. And, oh, you know. I oh <laughs> yeah no the, the, the collecting never stops. Never stops. No <laughs> end to it. No end. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't remember who said it, but I saw someone post on the internet today. They said something like, I need a new house because my toy room is full. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, all right. Understood. Hey, you know, if you ever want to do like a, a special, you know, like a, a, I don't know, quarterly episode of Extra Plasm that's like Ghostbusters Hoarders or something like that, I'd be more than happy to be your first, <laughs> first guest on that. You can come out and we'll do, you know, like a, a combination of MTV Cribs and Hoarders, I think would be interesting for Ghostbusters. This is the, <laughs> the dark version of the Moogly Fan Club's Collector of the Week. That's Which is, there's your shout out to the Moogly Fan Club on Facebook. <laughs> if, you've, if you're not a member of the Moogly Fan Club, you can join it. And there is a Collector of the Week segment. And one of the things that they do in it is it doesn't matter how big your collection is. So if you're just the guy who has like, I have 12 things, but I want to be the Collector of the Week. They're like, Okay, <laughs> I love that. You know, not, one, one thing I really can't stand with the collector base is like all the competition, and you know, you, yeah. you, you, you were talking so much about like the elitism of you know the the proffers and that kind of stuff. But you know, dude, people that collect, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a huge collection or a tiny collection. If you've got the love for it, that's that's what matters. Yeah. And collect what you like and don't what you don't and live within your means and be happy. Exactly. And people should just give people should just give other people less shit for the things they do. In fandom, that's just the the practical reality of that's. I don't want to get back into the negativity <laughs> of a few weeks ago about fandom, but you know, there's just people should just do what people want to do, and they should leave other people alone unless they want to help. Yeah, them. find your happy spot. You know, of, uh, follow the lessons that we learned in Ghostbusters too. Be be kind to your fellow human, and we'll all get off this crazy. Yeah, okay, I guess use positively charged mood slime exactly. saves the day. 
negatively charged mood slime does not. Mm-hmm. You're not a New Yorker, so you don't have a God given right to treat other people like crap. Not unless all. you're a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a New Yorker, then, you know, obviously Mayor Lenny has your back. <laughs> um. <laughs> so with the next movie coming out, is there anything in particular that you're hoping to find out more about that you don't know already? It doesn't have, mm. it doesn't have to be anything you know is in the movie now. It's just something you're hoping to dig into or hoping to uncover or whatever. Do you mean as far as like the Ghostbusters 2 doc or just Ghostbusters in general? Well, you could answer both. Like what's something about the Ghostbusters 2 doc or you can answer either. So if the Ghostbusters 2 doc question is too much like, hey, I don't want to spoil the movie, then, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll stay mum on that. It's, you know, I hope with Afterlife, I hope we get some stuff. Yeah, you know, I would really like to, I mean, I'm sorry, Firehouse. With the release of Firehouse, I hope we learn a little bit more about Afterlife. You know, we haven't seen any script leaks or anything. You know, usually yeah. by now, like crew members are, you know, like selling their scripts on eBay or whatever. And, you know, scripts pop up. We haven't seen anything for Afterlife. And I think that's interesting. Um, maybe that's part of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, from the, the Sony email leaks and it's just, they have a much tighter security. I would like to learn a little bit more about afterlife. Um, you know, with, with firehouse, I hope, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more love for ghostbusters two is going to be in the film. Uh, you know, afterlife obviously had kind of a, you know, vacuum of GB two things. I don't want the whole thing to be nothing, but you know, ghostbusters two references, but maybe they're right. kind of holding back on some of that stuff. And, you know, so maybe we'll see another box set with the, the Ghostbusters 2 work print and some of that kind of stuff. And I don't know. Um, that's kind of some of the stuff I'm hoping like boils to the surface, bubbles to the surface. Right on. Uh-huh. And that's and that's to me is kind of interesting to think about that like Afterlife had so much less behind the scenes for us to access than say the 89 movie did yeah, at the time yeah. that it was made, you know? Um, because the 89 movie was there are people walking around in a world pre- um ndas that cover your personal camcorder whereas now everyone is like hey there's an it security guy who knows whether or not you turned your cell phone on on the set and uh why were you using the wi-fi and you were not signed into the vpn and now you're fired <laughs> you know just like so you know and like in watching and listening to all the interviews and stuff with like you know the production people and the concept artists you know i guess have some had a lot on there you know yeah a lot of them always seemed a little bit guarded on like on things mm-hmm. and I get, Hey, no, no complaint, you know, but I, I kind of hope we yeah. learn a little bit more about that. You know, what was, you know, what were some of the changes made and you know, how's it going to reflect in the future of the franchise that kind of stuff. I don't know. That's, that's kind of, yeah. What, I mean, what I'm interested and in. I think it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to think about that because like, if you were to ask somebody about the production process of that movie pre pandemic, that movie was arguably done, but then the pandemic hits and it's like, they unlocked a locked picture yeah. to, add stuff to it, you know, um, to do a couple reshoots and to add a new ending to it and to cut some. So it's like, okay, interesting. Like that would have been a completely different, probably explanation of answers of how the movie gets produced mm. pre pandemic versus post. So I don't, I don't know. I think people are way more tight lipped than they used to be. I think yeah. you're right. And I would just love to hear more from Jason as far as like that process. What was it like, you know, having, you know, something that was almost finished, you know, like his, his father's two Ghostbusters films had incredibly tight deadlines and, and from yeah. what I tell Afterlife did too, up until like right at the point when they were going to release it. And then they just had all this time, you know, I'd love to hear from him yeah. about like, what was it like having that extra time? And, you know, just those, those kind of stories that we haven't heard. I think that'd be really cool. All right. Now let's just do random speculation. Cause it's fun. Oh, fun. All right. <laughs> There's a new Ghostbusters movie coming. Um, do you think it will release on time? 
I'm going to say no, but I would love for it to be like, you know, maybe they've had this thing in the can all these years or something like that. <laughs> We're just now, I don't know, maybe they're just doing pickup shots in London or something. I don't know. We we have no idea. What, <laughs> that would what, be so screwed up. That would be insane. <laughs> if they had filmed them both together like three, four years ago know. and this was like, just a put on. <laughs> one thing I loved about Afterlife is, you know, they, they had that announcement in, in what was it like, uh, I don't know, Hollywood report, Reporter or something. And then like the next day I was like, with a coworker, and he's like, "Yeah, I heard about this new Ghostbusters movie." It's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, there's already a trailer for it." And I'm like, "No, there's not. That's a fan made thing." There's, there's, that's, no, uh-uh. they're wrong. And but it turned out there is a there is a trailer. <laughs> there for was it, you know? like, what is there something like that that's going to pop up with Firehouse? You know, I don't I don't know. Like, yeah, Jason's very secretive, and I think it's really cool. And I don't know. I think he's almost kind of cracked the 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 legacy sequel thing, and you know, given us just the right amount of you know references and. And, and mystery before the film comes out and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really yeah. just excited to kind of see, see everything play out. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Gil Kennan does a little differently than maybe what, than Jason would. Exactly. You know? and exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking to this sort of, you know, what, when do you get your production info and stuff? I, I, did you have an opportunity to do the, um, I don't know if you had a chance to do this. Were you at the commentary thing that they did for the NFTs? I was not. No. Huh? So I, kind of asked a question directly of Gil Cannon in that, like, mm-hmm. how are you going to handle the loss of an actual firehouse? Like, you know, the movie's called firehouse. Yeah. We know the Ecto one's going back to New York, but we know you can't really go back to the actual firehouse where you filmed any of the interior because it's in skid row and it's completely torn down inside. Mm-hmm. So what's the plan? Is it like CG or is it going to be practical? And he like literally stopped and looked at the chat and was like, Jim, these are the kinds of questions that are best answered after the movie oh, comes out. And I'll that's be happy funny. to talk about them. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. So it's like part of that guardedness thing, I think is that there is a desire to, you know, hold things close to the chest because, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that last movie, Jason Reitman had said he wanted to unwrap like a present for mm-hmm. us. That was mm-hmm. his big speech, his big phrasing of the 2019 uh, fan fest talk that he gave. Mm-hmm. Right. It was like, I want this movie to unwrap like a present. And I feel like, that's part of why we don't see a lot of that production info is it's like, they're trying to keep Santa Claus real. Probably so. <laughs> that probably so. Yeah. You know? And I wonder like what, what would that reveal had looked like had the pandemic not happened, you know, like what, as far as yeah. like, you know, the thing, the way things were rolled out and you know, how that tied in with the, the marketing that we never saw and like the, the, the tie-ins and that kind of stuff. I don't know. It, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what's, um, what's one thing you're hope that you hope happens in the next Ghostbusters movie? Well, uh, hmm. I don't know. I was kind of thinking it would be cool if the entire thing is set inside the firehouse. I thought that could be kind of interesting. Ooh, yeah. I, you and I have the same concept. That <laughs> <laughs> like a, I've said the same thing. Like a haunted house story, like set inside the firehouse. Like maybe they leave yeah. once or twice or something. Maybe the old the, the old timers come in and show up. But I don't know. The whole thing's just set in there. I don't know. I think it could be it could be interesting. And you know, what's what's wild is they re- they released the name of the the code name. It was like the very first you know, announcement for the for the project. Yeah. It was like, you know, we've got this new Ghostbusters film coming out. Its code name is Firehouse. So it's like, is there a code name for the code name? I don't know, but it's, it's interesting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have said that I would be totally fine with a movie that took place because the containment unit spills. Mm-hmm. Like that essentially <laughs> that like a breach happens, but it's a minor breach that causes the dimensions to merge within the firehouse. And so like 
they are they don't leave the firehouse. They're literally busting ghosts and trying to stay alive and save themselves from within the firehouse because the firehouse is slowly being taken over by the containment unit, almost like the TARDIS from Doctor Who, like expanding outwards into the firehouse. Like and so, um, yeah, I like that idea. I think really I'm, cool. I kind of yeah. want the same thing. And it would, it, you know, there would it would be, be neat. Like ties to the to the you know real Ghostbusters episode with Sam Hain and you know. I don't know. It'd just be, yeah. be kind of it'd be kind of cool. And you know, like you, I've got a lot of I don't know, just love for the L.A. firehouse. And you know, I love the episode yeah. you made on that and all that that heavy research you. you did. And it was cool. I just want to be back in there, whether we're in the real place or not, whether it's a soundstage or whatever. Right. I, I want to. I want more. More in the firehouse, and you know, going back yeah. to your earlier question, what more do I want to see? Um, I want to see Ghostbusters two dailies of the crew working in the firehouse. Um, we saw a little yeah. bit of it in the montage and I know they, they shot more, So that's, that's kind of like what I want to see. If I want a right box on. set with more dailies and I want the montage scenes. Yeah. I want a box set that is not a box set. I want it to be <laughs> want a, a steel deal. book. <laughs> I want a steel book. That's what I want. That's, that's and look, like, I sit, I, I, I'm being somewhat picky about this, but <laughs> I have said since the ghost trap box came out, um, I never understood why it was. That everybody like there were people in the UK who were like, we got ripped off. Our box set doesn't light up. And I went, you got the better box set. Don't you? <laughs> your, your box set doesn't have a battery in it that's inside of cardboard glued into there that will eventually fail and then begin to leak and slowly destroy the things around it because it's leaking acid. <laughs> so the better box set is actually the one that doesn't light up, kids. This box set will self-destruct <laughs> in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're a collector who wants to keep this around forever, the box set that doesn't have a non-removable battery in it is actually superior to the box <laughs> set that does. Yeah, like I, I think the concept <laughs> behind it's cool. I, I get it, you know, but it's just, yeah, that's that's just kind of not my thing. And, you know, the whole, I think Ninja Turtles had a similar box set where it looked like a pizza box. And it's like, okay, yeah. cool, creative, but not necessary. And, you know, but, but not necessary. Yeah. As far as just like the, the actual content they gave us in that box set. Loved it. Yeah, much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why I say if they had done that as a steelbook, they could have probably made way more people happy because they could have produced more of them and put more of them on in in warehouses than out of space. I wonder if, you know, maybe did some of the bonus content in the box set have something to do with like the amount of copies they could print as far as, you know, I mean, as far as like the the, maybe the preview had other, you know, like other actors in it that hadn't, you know, that isn't part of the legal process that's going. Hey, they're going to put out this cut of the Maybe. film with these other actors in it, and you can only do 1,500 or whatever. I don't know how many were made. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That kind of interesting, and you know, what makes those decisions it happen? Is. Uh, it's really cool. It's like, did they have to pay Denise Crosby actual money? Yeah, that, yeah the Dana auditions. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, that's wild, yeah. You know, it's like that every one of those performers was in there essentially interviewing for a job, but now that becomes content that's like content <laughs> it's actually like public content as opposed to just being like private job interview stuff and the coolest thing um, about those so, i loved hearing uh, harold ramus read for vankman which i thought was really interesting yes you know that just really kind of cool just little things like that just the little process things i think are just really what drive me to me like to be a fan yeah. that would be like what would be fascinating would be to see like the inter- the um the janosh auditions mm, for sure for sure like how who did you know who were they considering as opposed to peter mcnichol because he wasn't necessarily the first choice and all those things. Right. And it's like, it would be interesting to see some of the other takes of how people were trying to spin Janos mm-hmm. and 
you know, what their version of that character was. Um, you know, there's, yeah. he did a, uh, McNichol did a really good interview around the time of Ghostbusters 2 where he talks about like how he was kind of, you know, coming up with a lot of that character because it was not written to be that at all. Like that was, you know, the, right. the accent and, you know, the, you know, it, it was just really cool. He was kind of talking about how he, you did a little concept art for the, 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 uh, his country flag and he just had this whole history built up. Yep. Really fascinating, but um, yeah, yeah, like James Green talks about that in his yeah, book. yeah, he, he talks about it. He actually yeah, yeah. paraphrases that interview, mm-hmm. um, quotes some of it, and that's honestly where I first heard about some of the stuff from as I hadn't ever read that interview with Peter McNichol, and then I went back and found it, and I was like, this is fascinating. Funny enough, I'm, uh, I'm due but, for yeah. a reread of James's book. <laughs> I read it once, but now I'm like, Ooh, I need to reread it. <laughs> my okay, so this is my personal advice about James's book, and this is like not this is I enjoyed talking with James, and he's definitely check out his mm-hmm, book for sure. I enjoyed his book as an audio book, uh-huh. but using the print as the reference for the end. Okay. Yeah. So it was like, I could listen to the book. Uh-huh. And then when I had a fact check question of like, I've never heard that before I could flip to the book and be like, Oh, that's where this came from. And then I could go to the internet and go find that thing and kind of do that thing. I'm <laughs> one of those people. I'm admittedly, I'm a person who watches and doesn't anymore because it doesn't necessarily need to. But I used to be a person who would watch Star Trek The Next Generation episodes in Deep Space Nine with my laptop open on my lap. And then I would go to Memory Alpha, which is like the Star Trek wiki of fans of all the information where you can find out what a Heisenberg compensator <laughs> is, how it works in a transporter and what it does. And then it compensates for the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, just in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> but um, and during transport, so your molecules don't get shifted. But I digress. Um, like I use James's book in the same sense that it was audiobook in a weird way. Whereas like I would listen to his book. I would then find something I'd never heard before and go, though that's interesting. Where did that come from? Look at the print version and then, then go find that actual source and be like, Oh, cool. I felt like this is a good, great way to find a new resource in its primary format that I've never encountered before. Yeah. Like going back to the primary um, so, sources. That is really cool. And James did an yeah. awesome job of, you know, all of his resources and his research and everything. It's such a, he didn't. It's a great synthesis, really right? Like and that's what I said about it. It's like, it's a really good synthesis of information that's out there that it, even if you're a person who's a deep Ghostbusters fan, you'll find kernels of information in there. You've never exactly. Heard yeah. It, right. Just when you think, you know, everything, and, you know, he did a great job of really kind of setting up all the actors and, and or not literal actors, but the, the, the players in, in the book, you know, giving us Reitman's history context. and you know, context. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just really cool. I love how he kind of made, you know, especially Ivan kind of feel like a, you know, just a, a, a creative soul, I guess. And no one's perfect, but you know, I don't know. You just saw like a warts and all look of everything. I just, I, I really enjoyed it. It's the, the people are people. People are people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it made me really, you know, I wish I could have just sat down and kind of, you know, talked to Ivan, had a conversation, had a, had a, you know, glass of beer with him or something. I don't know. Yeah. The only time I ever spoke with Ivan Reitman was when he walked around during the breakfast at Ghostbusters Fan Fest and he sat down at our table and he said, I want everyone to make Paul Feig feel welcome today. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's so funny. He literally went around. 
He spent his morning at FanFest talking to fans and answering questions. But after he answered our questions, he said, I just want everyone to make Paul feel welcome today. That's it. This guy is literally walking around to the class tens saying, help me set the tone today. That is great. I love it. He just wanted to make Paul feel welcome. That's that's so cool. You know, we were there hanging out, like, I guess before a lot of the stuff got kicked off on FanFest Day. And Paul was kind of in the green room and I, I chatted him up a little bit. You know, I, I never really, you know, Anthony and Claire shot all the in- interviews for the documentaries before, you know, before I came on. So I haven't like, you know, I didn't get to sit yeah. down with Harold and I and that kind of stuff, but I don't know. It was really cool. And I, I chatted up Paul for a few minutes. He was a great guy and he's cool to talk to. And I, I, I wish I could have told him that like the cleaning up the town documentary has some references to answer the call in it. And this is something that I'll, I'll throw out on the podcast. I don't think I've told this anywhere. Um, when I was like picking out stuff for the shots, you know, like for like the ectomobile sequence or, you know, there's, there's, um, there's some storyboards uh, where, you know, Bankman's like, you know, there's a, there's a tight shot in Bankman's face. He says, let's go. You know, and some of that stuff, little things where I like, yeah. hey, that kind of connects with things to the call a little bit. You know, just as a way to kind of pepper it in there. There was some, uh, a lot of people were bitching about the ectomobile and answer the call had a big red stripe that went across the side of the car. And people are pushing about it. I'm like, what's what's the deal? It, they were thinking about doing that in '84, you know, having a stripe across the car. So I right. used that art, you know, when they were talking about the Ectomobile. Little things like that. Holtzman's proton pistols, you know, that was Ackroyd's original idea for the wands. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a handheld thing. It was just a, a, the the the, <laughs> right. the pistol. And I just thought that was really cool, you know. So I kind of wish I'd have told him that, you know, hey, these things are in there. <laughs> Thanks for. Thanks for what you did. <laughs> Even though it wasn't yeah. my favorite thing on the planet, but you know, he's a great guy and it was, you know. Wait, so you mean you're not doing a movie after the next one? I don't think I'm helping the Buenos <laughs> out with their answer the call documentary. I think that's going to be another crew. I don't know. They're going to kill me for saying what? that. No, they're not, they're not doing an answer the call documentary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> some people are like what <laughs> and other people are like what yay gotta be careful with what I say here I don't, like, it feels to me like we're just having a conversation <laughs> Here's, the, the, I can tell you exactly how the trailer for that movie starts the most controversial Ghostbusters documentary of all time <laughs> <laughs> the most hated trailer ever made I don't know what a you know I don't know it's it's unfortunate what happened with all that, but I, I enjoyed, you know, buying my niece's, you know, stuffed Stay Puffs. Yeah. That kind of thing. I just loved it. And I love seeing everyone kind of dig into it and have fun. And it was, you know, the, the negative stuff can stay. I, oh, I always say it's not, it's not my preferred Ghostbusters movie, but if it's yours, cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like by the same token, this is like, nobody ever does this the same way of like level of hate, but like, I'll just go on the record of saying, I tried to watch Extreme Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and it didn't appeal to me. You know, I, I found the opposite. <laughs> I've been I've been hesitant to watch it like since it had been out in the nineties. And you know, I finally gave it a shot a year or two ago and I, I really liked it. I thought the way they handled the firehouse was really cool. I thought the firehouse looked great. It, it, in a way, it kind of like some of the designs looked closer to the to the films, but um yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's funny. I, you know, hey, everyone's but got like, their own Ghostbusters. It, I'm not like, well, well, you, you know, you are wrong because <laughs> you like the wrong cartoon Ghostbusters. You're wrong. <laughs> like, it's just there's no reason to be upset about exactly, this. Exactly. Like you, you like a thing. I don't like a thing as much. It's that's you know, like 
it would be weird. It's, it's it's very strange how much people get very upset about that movie because yeah. it's like imagine a world where people were like went to a wedding and it was like you had two options of what you could eat and it's like chicken or fish. And like the guy who gets fish at the table, everybody that turns around and goes, I can't believe you did that. What kind of eater are you? You can't. How could you come to a wedding and eat fish? Like, it's like, not get totally outraged. Yeah, it's just enjoy what you like. And I mean, there's, there's not enough time to, to worry about anything else, really. No, but I'm the, what I like. What I like for sure is cleaning up the town. Hey, well, um, thank you very much. There. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping to like uh, the next documentary that you all put out which again remind us will be named theoretically in too hot to handle remembering ghostbusters 2 cool anything else that you want to let us know we should check out that you want to promote not not really i don't i don't put myself out there that much i'm generally hanging around the gb fan forums uh spangler 1984 workbench on facebook i you know I'm, i'm generally there posting in conversations and stuff i guess you know check out uh Follow at Ghostbusters Doc for you know any news on the Ghostbusters documentaries and dude, you should really have the the brands on here at some point. That would be yeah, awesome. no, it would be good. I yeah. should definitely it's probably a, to closer to the time that they you know start marketing that thing. Yeah. but um, yeah, they're they're so cool. They're just I don't know. It's just a, we're just like a little happy family. All of us, you know, right on collaborating on this thing. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, that you found each other and that like you're yeah. you know <laughs> that like starting out is like hey, I'll scan some stuff for you developed into what becomes a very a very awesome and very uh informative and enjoyable film to sit down and watch um cool, thank and you very much. really look forward to the next one when you all are done with it you know and cool. because then we won't we won't push you on it and be like when <laughs> <laughs> take my money you guys must hate money you haven't put a movie out yet <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks for joining us derek and, hey uh, thanks for having me on jim Yeah, anytime, and uh, good luck as you all work on the next Ghostbusters documentary. Cool, thank you very much. (laughs) That's going to wrap things up for Extraplasm this week. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Derek Osborne for coming on the show for this week's interview. I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen Cleaning Up the Town, or if you haven't just watched it in a while, uh, that you can get it from Crackle or Philo for free with ads, or you can purchase it or rent it from Amazon, Google Play, Apple, uh, many other platforms. So if you haven't seen the movie, feel free to give it a watch because it's definitely worth your time. And if you want to reach out to the podcast in any way, you can, of course, always reach me at Extraplasm on Instagram or on Twitter or via extraplasmpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support the podcast, you can always do that by leaving a positive review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or wherever it is that you're getting this show. Um, And while you're there, you can get cleaning up the town. (laughs) But anyway, thanks again for listening. And as Ernie Hudson always says, try to have fun and always. Keep on busting. Take care.